Welcome to Supporting Cast, the podcast about the undersung heroes of the film industry. You may not recognize their names, but you will recognize their work. This is a mini-series on the work of Beth Grant. Beth. Big Beth. Big Beth. If you want a full breakdown of her life and career, listen to our Speed episode, but the long and the short of it is an incredible career spanning over 160 movies, three Best Picture winners, and nearly 40 years now, even though she started quite late in life at 38, getting her first big break, just like an iconic character actor. And I am Charlie Devonport. <laughs> um, welcome to Supporting Cast Episode 2. <laughs> did you just break a chair? The chair broke, but I'll make it work. Oh, did it? Let's, should we just get a new chair? No, no, no. no this no, is no, good. No, 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 no keep work good. with it. It. Just, it just changed and we're good. Okay. Um, <laughs> hi, I'm Charlie. Absolute uh, this chaos. is episode two of Supporting Cast, which was so beautifully summed up by Seamus before he broke a chair. <laughs> That's a good omen or not, but we'll see. Last episode, we talked about speed. Um, this episode, we're talking about something a little bit different. A little bit spookier. Lincoln, want to introduce yourself again? Yeah, sorry. I'm Lincoln Vickery. Um, today, we're going to talk about um, the big man himself. We're talking about Donnie Darko. Uh, Seamus, how you doing over there? You okay, bud? Hey, I'm Seamus Quinn. I don't want to... St- yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm Seamus Quinn. Uh, I'm doing great. I'm yeah, feeling great. really good. <laughs> feeling really I'll, good, really honestly, normal. Yeah, the tension is lifted from me now. Yeah, absolutely. I was really focusing on that It's a sort of mistake we needed to make. Yeah, thank It's God. a sort of thing of like, um, often these kind of coincidences <laughs> happen through life and they build up and... Uh, They're somehow leading towards some destined fate. That's exactly right. It's uh, self-determined. You might call this chair the manipulated living. Yeah. <laughs> or the manipulated dead. Uh, guys, we are going to talk about Donnie Darko. Uh, in, I, I have unfortunately gone a little bit insane this week. I have an enor- enormous amount of stuff here. I've got stuff here about um, like Beth Grant and her kind of role in it and interviews with her. Um, but I've also got like, I, I went into some areas of the internet where some <laughs> insane people were talking about Donnie Darko like it was real. Uh, and now I'm not sure that it wasn't. Uh, <laughs> um, I so, can't so- wait. I'm going to feel like I am back in year nine arguing about Donnie Darko again with my friends who got too deep into it. Like, yeah. I think we're going to end up, it's going to be a real blast from the past. I think it's a great way to start. Charles, when you first watched Donnie Darko, where did you land? I need, oh. Should we perhaps first do a little intro about the movie itself? Uh, it came out in 2001, yeah. Richard E. Kelly. It yeah. was kind of a breakout role for both Jake Gyllenhaal and Maggie Gyllenhaal. It is a classic of like high schooler, I think it's safe to say edgelord Absolutely. cinema nerd stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Psychological sci-fi thriller. Yeah. Horror. It's, it's definitely, I mean, we realise now that I think he was trying to make a sci-fi film. That, that comes, a, that yeah, comes across of, think, in yeah. the director's cut. Mm. Yeah, which, mm. which I, we will talk about later. I think we both watched, we all watched both the original and the director's cut. I have cut. not seen the director's cut. I've, I've you stayed, haven't seen the director's no, I've cut? I've stayed pure. That's insane. <laughs> all the stuff that we just talked about is exclusively. No, no, no. That's <laughs> no, no, no. That's all for real, real Donny heads that can actually see what's happening. Is, <laughs> you're not. You're just not smart. You need the did director's you just, cut. <laughs> did you read the book that Richard Kelly wrote to go along with? Yes. It? You read. Oh you read God. the philosophy of yeah, time travel. Yeah, of course. I read the philosophy of time travel. Okay. What are you talking about? How many pages is the full philosophy? <laughs> it's not, of time it's time like a little novella. Like it's a, a little like it's that's psychotic after he filmed the first Yeah, yeah and he released yeah. it on a website. We'll get into it. Okay, sorry. <laughs> I, yeah, we're talking about 2001 uh, art house indie darling film How? that was a flop when it was released. Big flop. But mm. then found a life in pretentious high schoolers who were interested in film. What's up? <laughs> and Unfortunately. everyone has an opinion about Donnie Darko, particularly if you were a film 
nerd, which we clearly are because we have yeah. a fucking podcast about films. But, you know, like I think we're the, we're the target audience here. So really anyone who hung out with who was a bit of a loser like myself would have an opinion on Donnie Darko. And my opinion on Donnie Darko was I made it my entire personality <laughs> to hate on it. Yeah, I yeah, wanted yeah. to be the kid that was like, this is pre- – I, I think I used the word pretentious like – 45,000 times when I described this film to people. 100%. But what, when I watched it, I wanted to hate it. What age were you when you watched it? Oh, year nine, I reckon, like 13, 14. Yeah. And I think I just decided that I was better than this film. Uh, you know, I just immediately was for like, sure. everyone likes it, and you're trying to be like contrarian for the sake of it. And re-watching it recently, I've gone, you know what? I was a bit hard on old Donnie Darko. I think... Does Donald deserve that ire, you know? No, He's but just a little guy. I still don't think that it deserves the same amount of like the people that were at the time trying to say that it was the greatest masterpiece that has ever been made. And like that, it's a classic, like you're just too dumb to understand it. Mm, me. Whereas I think, <laughs> whereas I think that it's, it's actually quite a simple film in the end. And I think that the best thing about the theatrical cut, which is what I rewatched. And then I watched bits of the director's cut. Cause I think I watched the director's cut first. And I think that, that's an issue because I think the ambiguity of the first film is actually its strength. But director's cut's a bit more like, here's some hardline rules about time travel. Mm. I'm a sci-fi guy, serious writer. Let's do the Anyway, we're, we're really going off on a tangent here. We, we, we'll do like a breakdown of the film. Absolutely. Oh, well, we're, getting into, we're going scene by scene. We're, yeah, we're, I, go, we're getting deep. I would love to hear also, Lincoln, what age were you when you first watched it and what was your opinion? I feel like this is such a... Four film douches. Uh, it's interesting because I, I think, you, am I right in saying that you watched this film and were like- That's my entire personality. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> I, 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 I almost, I, I, I couldn't quite think of enough questions, but I almost came with a game of like, is this something that Seamus did in high school or is this something that happens in the movie Donnie Darko? <laughs> I, yeah, that's fully true. Uh, <laughs> my most- like my most intense high school crush mm. that like was Gretchen. No, like the real well, actually, <laughs> she. My most intense high school crush at one point quoted directly to me, "You're weird," and I was like, "Oh, I'm sorry." And then she said, "No, it's a compliment," <laughs> and I my brain broke. I didn't. I I have to say, and this is embarrassing. God, I hope she doesn't listen. Still not over it. <laughs> <laughs> She's the one that got away. She is. And it, it, do I every, know who this person is? Yes. Okay, I'm not going to say that name. Yeah, uh, oh, we do not, we cannot uh, say her that name. That is so very funny. Oh, uh, God. And, and so unsurprising had, to me. It's also crazy to me that I had not heard had that exact story. Had the film come out before. before she quoted it accidentally? Yes. Yeah, no, she quoted it intentionally. <laughs> oh, that makes well, it adds a whole layer. That's, that's she good, she played that part. We then did We then did that scene, that exact scene for drama class. Twice. That's really upsetting. <laughs> it's really upsetting to hear. <laughs> I just need to. And like, she's the one that got away. Still the one that got away. <laughs> I just need to finish painting this picture. I think the first time I watched Donnie Darko, I was wearing a fedora <laughs> that I bought with my own money from doing a commercial for a hundred and eighty dollars. And that's a good game. What were you wearing when you first watched Donnie Darko? <laughs> A fedora might win, though. 
I was definitely wearing skinny leg jeans, Converse, and like a stripy undertop with like a mod yes. T-shirt. Yes. yes, I had an uh, emo haircut. Was wearing a jumper that was very similar to this, and my fedora, s- <laughs> <laughs> my school shorts, and probably pointy shoes. <laughs> Odds on, the fedora would have been accompanied by a <laughs> uh, camo <laughs> green. Watching Johnny Darker with a fedora on is so it's funny. Probably, it probably would have been accompanied by a, a oh, camo my. green collared shirt and a beige vest. And, and, and perhaps a, a, a dark black coffee. I don't know what bullshit I was into <laughs> in terms of fluids at that age. Probably. What a wild sentence. Probably uh, bright pink strawberry milk. <laughs> so you're sitting down, you, your fedora is sitting next to you. You pick it up, you put it on. Oh, I settle down. I settle down on the leather couch in my converted basement bedroom uh-huh. and I put it on the TV. Yeah. Uh, and my life changes forever. <laughs> okay. Uh, and so, I wow. watched. The director's cut first. You know, I'm really glad school was cancelled today. Because <laughs> if it wasn't, I would never have got to have this conversation. I'm really I'm really glad school was cancelled. Because if it wasn't, I would never have got to watch this movie. <laughs> I also love that you and I had the opposite reactions, yet still it made it our personality. Because mm-hmm. mine was just to resent all the Donnie Darko stands. And, and here we are. Uh, mine are was friends that against I all am ones. Donald Darko. <laughs> <laughs> We're real Romeo and Juliet. I am become Donald Darko. <laughs> I have become Donald Darko, saver of worlds. My reaction to this movie was I watched it and was like, I don't get it. And then I walked away and didn't think about it for about 10 years. I think that was the right reaction. I got it. I really, like, I, I vividly remember, like, all of the, like, people talking about it. It was a big thing. We, like, uh, it, it was, like, one of those uh, movies that um, movie uh, wankers have watched i don't get why people say it's so complicated it's very clear (laughs) well we're getting to that and then i watched it and it was like i don't get it and was like i'm just gonna say that i like it and then move on with my life and like and never really had an opinion about it now coming back to it whatever whatever 10 years later or whatever probably longer 10 12 years later and being like oh i actually think (laughs) no 15 years later it would be i one think it's the movie is quite simple I think there's like there's a lot of stuff that you can kind of deal with but like ultimately it's a very simple story and like a very simple kind of thematically about um sacrifice and also about all of that kind of like 80s nostalgia and and teenagerdom and all of that stuff coming it's just a coming of age story where at the end you have to sacrifice yourself for the continuation of a timeline and 15 just just high school stuff just high school stuff (laughs) high school stuff and 15 years later i have come back around to it and fully (laughs) one i think it's gibberish i think I think it's good. I think it's gibberish. So, yeah. so you actually pass the fedora onto Lincoln. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Lincoln I, went as like, a, like a king being crowned. The fedora falls upon my head. Be very I careful. I pull out a pipe. <laughs> I own a pipe, <laughs> and I'm, I've got a dagger sheathed by my side I, that I've been learning to wield. <laughs> all real things. All real things. I did. I did historical ac- uh, reenactment at this time. So if you're wondering what I'm doing on my weekends, it's either watching Donnie Darko or going to a park and dressing up like a Viking with other 30-year-old men. I remember the first time I met you and I, some weird flex. I knew that this is what this episode would be, is just reezing on you for like 40 full minutes. Uh, And I was was looking forward to it. Oh, you are a fool. But the first time I met you, I remember I had this weird flex that I always do, did, probably still do, where I'm like, 
I don't know if anyone's as nerdy as I am. Like I run oh, anime God. conventions. Like I'm still yeah. kind of, I haven't grown out of this horrifying habit. It's been a decade. <laughs> um, but I remember saying it to you and, I was, and you were like, I bet I can beat you in nerdiness. And I went, oh, bring it on. God and then you it. were like, I do this. historical reenacting. <laughs> and I went, you know what? Yeah, I actually was humbled that day. Yeah, and then you shared your goon sack with me. Because <laughs> wow. I had dropped my whiskey in the laundry. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> what a time. Uh, Drama school's as wild as you hear about, guys. Let's talk about some. Let's get into the movie slightly. I've got I've got a couple of things here which I think let's if we can refocus on Beth for a second. Yes. Um, some interviews around her and, and um, some interviews with Richard Kelly. So there's the interview says, uh, another thing that sticks out is, of course, the scene where Beth Grant goes to Do- Donnie's mum to ask her to fly sparkle motion to their TV appearance uh, while she defends Swayze's character. And when the mum is reluctant, Beth yells, sometimes I doubt your commitment to sparkle motion. How did you keep it together while watching her do that bit? And Richard Kelly says, I didn't. I ruined at least one take laughing. I had to recuse myself from the monitor area. The director had to recuse himself. I literally moved away with my headphones and let Grant, let Beth Grant deliver with such passion because it was so funny. Because Beth, she understood that character so well and she didn't play it any other way than with complete belief and sincerity that this woman will do anything to defend the honour of her motivational speaker and her guru. I just think that's real nice. Um, that's from Variety because I read the same. Yeah, interview. right. You read the yeah, same. Yeah, that's yeah. the Variety one. But I loved that as well. That's yeah. as on my notes as well because I just went, oh fuck, she's so good. And she, he's right. Like in this performance, she gives it a hundred. You just believe her. Yeah. Like it could come it, with a worse actor, it would be too much. You also hear her yeah. talk about this uh, character and um, in interviews, and she's like, I don't think she's a bad guy. I get her. I like. She says something which is like. She just needed something, direction in her life so badly and she found it and it just happened to be from the wrong place. Yeah. And uh, I think there's something, yeah, I, I, I get into it a bit, a bit later of like, she there's something so like, fear. you could make that character uh, very two-dimensional and very just like evil and like a, you know, a little lackey for Patrick Swayze's character. But there is such like a pathos and like a, a, like a pity and like, yeah, there's just so, there's 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 a three dimensionality that I don't necessarily think is in the script, which is fine, um, but is in the direction and the, and the performance that I think is actually kind of incredible. I think I, that's the thing that saves this movie from being complete pretentious wash um, mm. is that there is just a real love and three dimensionality to all the characters. Yeah, I think the best thing you can say about this movie is that I don't think any of the characters are shallow in either performance or kind of writing, maybe with the exclu- the exception of one character, but I think it's a, I think it's a movie that gives a shit about the uh, reality of the people in it. Yeah. Which 100%. Is- I Good. think it's a lot to do with the cast. It's a stacked cast in general. It's stacked, a huge cast. Like stacked as everyone fuck. is a good actor in this yeah. movie. On that, there's this. Uh, there's a, another quote from um, Beth where she says, it's the kind of film an actor like me just prays you will get a chance to do something like this. An independent art film with something to say, something that can, I mean, does it sound hoity-toity to say change lives? So we read, and then instead of saying, I doubt your commitment to sparkle motion, I said, I doubt your commitment to miracles in motion. And I was like, oh, darn it. That's the sort of thing where it's like, that's kind of the clear, like, 
I think everyone kind of involved in the production of this was like, it, it's that thing that we talk, <laughs> we talk about with Holes a lot. The movie Holes, which we will get to oh, I can't 100%. Wait I'm, I'm going to be sick for that episode. It's going to go for honestly three days. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, okay. it'll, be, it'll be a Holes <laughs> marathon. You can it's actually a 24-hour live charity stream where yeah, we yeah, talk yeah. about Holes. And we, we just watch it constantly. Uh, so just keep it on. Holes is the way that you can measure whether or not you should see a movie. If a movie is better than the movie Holes, Go see it. If it's worse than the movie uh, movie holes, you can probably skip it. I genuinely believe that. It's the epicenter of all cinema. Speaking of which, your game, is this movie better than Holes? I think Holes is a pretty good movie. Holes is a pretty good movie. And I think but that's that's the point. Is yeah. like it's it's a difference between like a oh, great this, movie. Yeah, yeah, it's like, oh, when, when you go above mov- kind of holes, then you're getting into like, no, nah, that's a that's, that's a yeah. movie you gotta see. Yeah. And Holes is kind of the, but this, sorry, the thing that I was saying is the thing that we talk about, I'll get back to whether this movie is better than Holes. The thing that we talk about when we talk about Holes is that everyone, cinematographer, editor, every actor, every the director, actor. The, like unfortunately Shia LaBeouf is like just firing on all cylinders and it kind of elevates this thing, which could be kind it's of- Kind of bro, it's kind of messy. It's really weirdly structured. Yeah. Wow, there is a lot of crossover between Holes and Donnie Darko now we talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. It's they're kind both of coming of age structured. Stories. It's kind of messy. They're both coming of age stories. They're they both have time stuff. <laughs> they both have time stuff, but the the everyone coming together and really giving it them their all lifts it into the realm of just but we're just real watchability. Absolutely. And even with all the like timey-wimey kind of pretension of this movie, I think because of everyone kind of just throwing themselves at this kind of 25-year-old guy who's like, I don't know, man, I've got a Tears for Fears song that I really want to play here. We don't have the rights to it yet, but I'm going to time this whole sequence to it anyway. A wild thing to do. Exactly that thing. It just elevates the whole thing. It's crazy to imagine Drew Barrymore obviously put her own money into this, like helped produce the film with Flower Studios. I think is her um, studio name, like helped to produce this thing. Like everyone was yeah, just like- Saved it. The, the cinematographer is like some old guy, like some 70s cinematographer that had been doing it forever who was like a big name and was just like, I don't know, sounds good. Yeah, and like he, like the look of this film is incredible. It genuinely is. very, very good. Patrick Swayze to be in it. Like, you know, just because the I Swayze. think the, the producer that worked for, with Flowers, comes to his name, I, ha- I need to write down, was- credited with getting a bunch of bigger names on board, like someone who read the script and went, I believe in this, I'm gonna, yeah. yeah. And the reason, we can get into this now, the reason that that producer read it was because Richard Kelly was friends with Jason Schwartzman from, mm. I think, film school. Yes. And so they basically, Jason Schwartzman was like, I really, really like this script. And he was kind of getting, I guess it was, it's post Rushmore, right? Yeah. And, and he, he was, was going to play Donnie Darko. Yeah. And yeah. he was going to play Donnie Darko. That is a really interesting film to me because that is like, that ups the comedy, I think. Because I think Jason Schwartzman is quite a, is, is a great actor, but like, kind of a much more comedic and I can see that kind of like off kilter, a, a bit hack to say Wes Anderson-y, but it's like- Awkward but that sort kind of funny of awkward, guy. Awkward funny guy. And there's such an, like, I think it was probably best for the movie. Much better. That I, like, but it's like, oh, I can see why you would write that role for him. Yeah. I get why I could see that movie. And I don't think that movie's bad. Jake Gyllenhaal's intensity is like the thing that kind of envelops the movie and his darkness and his kind of vulnerability is the kind of thing that surrounds the movie and makes it feel scary when it needs to be scary and then funny when it needs to be funny. Like Speaking of Donny alternates though. Oh yeah, let's talk. I... Couldn't believe it when I read that Jesus, they so bad. offered the role, offered the role, I think, to Mark Wahlberg. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Who, who was... then refused to do it unless Donnie Darko 
had a lisp. That's right. And then Richard E. Kelly refused <laughs> to let him perform the role with a lisp. And so he went, no, nah, I'm not doing it. You want to know how old he was at the time? How old was he? 29. <laughs> He's four years older than the director. Yeah. <laughs> this, this absolutely sent me on a deep dive of roles that Mark Wahlberg has turned down. Yes, And so absolutely. I would like to read you. Can, we, can, you, can you read the movie and we'll guess the reason? Is that fun? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you have um, the reasons? Yeah, okay. J.J. Um, Abrams, Star Trek. Uh, he doesn't like. He did, didn't want to fly in space. Nerd shit. <laughs> uh, yeah, he didn't understand the space talk. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, kind of both right. <laughs> this other one is going to be obvious, I think. Brokeback Mountain, another Jake oh. Gyllenhaal win. <laughs> he didn't like Ang Lee's Hulk. <laughs> it's too shallow a uh, in uh, dissection of masculinity. Uh, apparently, and like this is allegedly, he um, he didn't want to do the sex scenes. Yeah. So there you go. What? Which is allegedly, a, I found this a on shocker. a. <laughs> I found this on a website that like that had references and things like that. But this one, they were like, take this one with a grain of salt. It was also meant to be in Ocean's Eleven and meant to be in Face Off. There is one other alternate casting that I read about. I don't know if you guys ran into this. And this one I think is interesting. Um, He uh, turned it down because he was just like, I'm too old for this. Vince Vaughn at the tender age of 31. I think weirdly- I think Vince Vaughn when he's like- when 19. Yeah. It's a really cool thing when someone can look at, and apparently he liked the script and was like interested in doing it, but was just like, it won't bend, it won't work. I'm too me. old. I'm too old. Like, which I think is yeah, like. He a, was right. He's he was right. right about that. Yeah. Mark Wahlberg, though, he was like, I know I'm too old, but also I <laughs> but need also, a lisp. I got to do the lisp. Do you think he watches Zoe Darko and goes, if I'd been there. Yeah, he does the Will Smith thing, Will Smith <laughs> watching different. The Matrix and being like, nah, could have been me. <laughs> uh, he's like, oh, if I'd been there, I would have stopped that I plane stopped crash. It. Yeah, I would have stopped a plane crash. I would have stopped the plane crash. Um, so anyway. Beth Grant was in acting class with Patrick Swayze. Did you know that? Uh, they were in acting class together. He helped me accept myself as a character actress. We were doing Virginia Woolf and I started to cry and he said, don't you know you're beautiful? And then years later, we were in Tu Wong Fu together and we weren't quite on the same page during one scene. And he said, this is like when we were doing Virginia Woolf and I got it. And in Donnie Darko, he played my hero. I miss him. <laughs> She's just such a sweetie. Every quote is like, yeah. She's just From the sweetest yeah. lady. Patrick Swayze is a fucking legend because I read yeah. about they before they even started the principal photography on this film. There's an infomercial that he his character does, mm. uh, and they filmed that on location at his own house on his ranch. Oh, right. that's great. so they all went up there a week before they started shooting. Is a Richard Kelly interview? Mm. I think the same one actually. Variety. They talked about. Uh, they did that with just like two extras in him and they improvised and his wife bought out his old 80s wardrobe. Oh. Incredible. And so he's wearing his own clothes. They filmed at his house. He had everyone over there. They filmed this like joke. You'll see it in the film. It's a bit where it's an inspirational, motivational he does that chat. Thing it's like fear, yeah. love, <laughs> which is really good. It's, it's genuinely hilarious. It's one of my favourite parts of the movie. Yeah. Like unironically, I think it is maybe my second favourite scene in the movie. Okay. Just but, that uh, weird little interstitial. But uh, they were saying that they- Attitudeletics, is it called? Uh, oh, I've, got, I've got it written we'll, down we'll later. Get to I'll it. get we'll to, get to it. it. But, but yeah. he was saying before they started, they had like a, part, a party at Drew Barrymore's house just before they started filming and he'd already edited that together. So he bought it to show people. He edited it? Oh, Richard Kelly edited No, no, not Patrick Swayze. <laughs> I was about to say. Swayze did it himself. The, the Swayze. No, I'm assuming the editor edited it together and, and uh, you know, Richard E. Kelly was there, but they'd already done the edit. So they kind of took it to the party, showed everyone there and apparently it just got everyone really excited. And it was like really fun. You know, you could like look at this thing and it kind of brought everyone together. It seemed like a good time on that set. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's a, a bunch of stuff about that set that is so crazy. That the fact that Richard Kelly decided to film the whole thing in 28 days because he's like, well, the movie takes place over 28 days, and therefore 
the movie needs to be filmed in 28 days. He also I wrote it that, in 28 days. Yeah, and he wrote it, yeah, he wrote it in like a month. Like it's like it's so it's such a bizarre choice for a like first time filmmaker. It's a very first time filmmaker kind of choice. Yeah, it's a very like like it's all fucking one thing, man. Like it's all yeah. Well, He's so funny. I watched um there's a production diary and it's him and Stephen Poster the cinematographer. There's a couple things from this production diary. I didn't watch the whole thing, but one of them is like it's just Richard Kelly going through like the the Tears for Fears mm-hmm. like opening thing and he's so pumped about it and he's so cheesy about it and that's the thing that has really kind of swung me on this movie of being like fr- from like I don't get it to being f- like over like you know when I hadn't rewatched it being like that's like film bro shit like that's boring that's like you know it thinks it's cleverer than it is really pretentious to like watching Richard Kelly go through this stuff and and the movie itself but like watching him go through stuff and he's just so like heartfelt and like so into it and like is having a great time they also this is a complete side tangent there's a bit where he's going through this tears for fears kind of opening thing and he makes several mentions to Sarita Chowdhury, who's like an actor at that point. I think she had just been in, in Mississippi Masala. I, I don't know what else she had been in that time, but she's not in the film. And she's like a big, she's certainly a big actor now. I think she was probably much smaller then. They must have cast her. And then obviously maybe she had another project or maybe they ended up not getting her for some other reason. But he's like talking about Sarita Chowdhury all through this kind of production thing. And I don't know which character, maybe she was playing Gretchen, maybe? I don't know. Sarita was... At some point involved in this movie and has disappeared into the wilds of Donnie Darko myth. Maybe she's sitting at home with Mark Wahlberg (laughs) wearing (laughs) a fedora. She's like, what about if she had a lisp? But Sarita Chowdhury, same same sort of thing. I think she was much, she she would have been, I don't want to say exactly how old, but like older than than, um, Jenna Malone and and, and Jake. There's also, there's a bit in this production uh, diary, sorry, I just need to get through it now just because I've got it, where Drew Barrymore goes up to Richard Kelly and is like, Richard, I've got a storage of weird dances. If you ever need me, it'll break one out. <laughs> and I'm like, that's why she's a star. You know, that's that's crazy, Drew. I love her so much. Drew seems so incredible. She like, seems so great. All of this, one, this performance is off the chain good. And yeah, it's so good. crazy. Absolutely bonk. Uh, uh, one of the most bonkers written characters. Uh, in, in cinema history. <laughs> in modern um, cinema. Some and great teaching the, techniques. Some yeah. great Really responsible teaching. teaching. Perhaps with that, we should get to the film. Yes. Oh, I've got so much. Well, we haven't even started talking. No, no, no. We can get to, we can get to the film. We'll, you, we'll go we through. We can chuck more of this in as we get to it. Absolutely. I imagine it's going to come up naturally anyway. Yeah, but okay, yeah that's The fact that Drew enough. saved this movie. You don't, want to, you don't want me to go through the tangent universes and the manipulated living? We're going to have to. I think we'll save a okay. what the fuck is this movie about Great. section to the end because I think that's a very important part of talking about this movie. And that's why everyone's listening to this, let's be honest. Everyone I know everyone's, what the fuck we like, think well, happened I need this Donnie to be Dark. unlocked. <laughs> Why the fuck did they talk about hats for half an hour? I need to understand the movie Donnie Darko. I have an assignment due in 15 minutes. Oh, was there one I had? Oh, there was just in that last production diary, you do see like Beth Grant working a little bit and it's the big thing where she's like uh, holding up the book and the Graham Greene book. So good. And she's like, she like does it and then like goes to Richard Kelly and is like, how do we feel about the thumb? <laughs> and he's like, I like the thumb. And I'm like, that's great. I love to see actors work and I love to see like the very mundane thing of like, I'm going to put this finger up or I'm going to move my arm like this. And like, that is such a big part of acting that doesn't get talked about a a lot of stuff. Hey, you've got to move your shoulders slightly to the right because that will change the shot entirely. And all that stuff is so interesting to me. Beth is great. Beth is, yeah, just like old pro, 
knows exactly what to do. Let's get into the movie. Let's get into I, the movie. I apologize. I did. I did warn these guys as I, <laughs> as we were coming in yesterday. That I was like, "Hey, I, I got I, I got a lot on old Donny, and I'm really sorry." But this I, this podcast might a, be. I do think it's interesting to know how this film was made because it seems like you're like, "How did this 25 year old get yeah. this production company with these actors?" How did that all happen? Even he seems surprised by it. A hundred percent. Yeah, he mm. seems like, like I got no idea. Jason like, Schwartzman gave him an in with Coppola, right? That was how that happened. Yeah, I think so. Francis Ford Coppola is Jason Schwartzman's uncle. Am I? Uncle? Yeah, they're related or cousins or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think that he read the script and got interest in it and they had like a breakdown, a chat about it. And I think that, that he, Richard E. Kelly cites that as a large reason why that film ended up getting the attention that it did and also because of Drew Barrymore's production company getting behind yeah. it. I love that they had a meeting with her on the set of De- uh, Charlie's Angels. Did you read oh, that? Oh, I did not read yeah, that. Yeah, they That's went really in to meet with her mid, like he was that he walked when she was doing Charlie's Angels. There's also the thing of like how he, uh, like the idea of where it came from, which is when he was a kid, he, uh, a blue ice from an airplane crashed into a friend of his that lived across the road. Oh, yeah. yes. Um, Isn't that a complete urban legend that that can happen? No, it's real. It's like, it's like, it doesn't, they don't, they're not allowed to do it, but it happens sometimes. I think is, I don't I, know. I, I don't know. Don't quote me on that. I thought it was a full urban legend that blue ice, which is toilet stuff yeah. from an aeroplane. Just poop and piss. I thought that was a, a complete urban legend that it can fall out of the sky and hit people's stuff and heads. Richard Kelly says it happens to his friend. So. I think it happened from what I can't, I read it, hey, he heard it on the radio. Oh, right. Yeah. Maybe, well, yeah. maybe I've, maybe I've kind of, I've spiced up the story. Friend. His old, best friend who lived <laughs> next door to him. He was doesn't inspired his by, Lincoln. I think it was meant to be the ice came off the wing and it did happen. And the, the ice kid, oh. came off the wing. And the kid wasn't in the room when it happened. That was the story that he heard, like the local news. A large piece of ice fell off the wing of a jet plane and smashed into a house somewhere near where I grew up into the bedroom of a teenage kid. All right, I did spice this up a little yeah. bit. His, <laughs> his secret lover. <laughs> his, yeah, his secret lover. <laughs> Richard yeah. Kelly was killed by an ice block when he was 15. Yeah, that's right. And then he came back. <laughs> in a time loop. Uh, and then we're in a time loop right now. <laughs> this is uh, a tangent universe that is still yet to collapse. All right, let's go through the film. Let's do um, shot for shot, baby. Yeah. Um, yeah, we didn't even talk about Reagan. Okay. We'll get, uh, to, it. We'll get <laughs> to it naturally. So movie starts, Rolling Thunder Sounds. The New Market presents, in association with Pandora, a flower films production, which is uh, Drew Barrymore's, a Richard Kelly film, all in beautiful papyrus font. That's what kind of pops is up. Is it papyrus? It's papyrus My just... first note was what font is this? And we spent ages thinking about it. And it's like, it's close. So it's more like a, a gothica, like kind of swirl. Sure, yeah, 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 I had the same thought. I imagine it's hand, it's like hand painted or handwritten. Oh, 100%. And then it's not, they, didn't, they didn't go to Microsoft Word well, and be like, Johnny. Here's the thing. They, did, they didn't for this. And I'm... Upset, we're already referencing it, but they fully did for S. Darko. That's right. We will get into S. Darko, <laughs> the uh, a Donnie Darko story. It's uh, the sequel to this film that was made in 2009. I watched all of it. Seamus watched as much as as much as is humanly possible. Uh, and I'm a sick boy. <laughs> I watched all of it. We will get into that after after going through this good yeah. movie that I like. Uh, after this good movie. Panning shot of a California vista. We see a figure lying on the ground, his bike laying to the side. He slowly gets up, looks over the mountains... It's Jakey G. He looks like a little baby. Little he's, baby. He's Jake. a tiny little baby. How old um, was he when we were fil- uh, filming this? Like nineteen? He's maybe twenty. Wow. He yeah. looks. He he looks. Especially talking about Vince. Uh, Vince Wahlberg. Vince Vaughn and Mark <laughs> Wahlberg. Mark Wahlberg. He looks 
actually right for the age. Like, I was surprised yeah. how hmm. close every child actor in this movie looks. Like, they're all... It's they not something young. like watching, you know, Grace. Glee. Yeah, either one. <laughs> Grace where they're actually 40. Yeah, where it's like, oh, cl- all of these people are too old to be here. They have I a think- receding hairline. Or Christine. Have you guys seen the, the, the John Carpenter movie Christine where it's like 50-year-old guys <laughs> like smoking cigarettes. That they're all teenagers. Good. It's really good. So then we get the Donnie Darko title, Awful Font. I, th- I really dislike the font of this movie. Yeah, um, yeah. Donnie starts riding his bike. The Killing Moon plays. We haven't talked about the soundtrack of this movie. Obviously, that's kind of a huge part of it. I literally like, wrote... Soundtrack is the MVP of this fucking movie. Yeah, like, it really honestly, helps. it's doing a lot. It is, yeah, it is the most valuable player, mm-hmm. unquestionably. I love this sequence to Echo Man and the Bunny Man because I think both this and we'll talk about it later, but the Tears for Fears one are two of my favorite sequences in this film because I think because I just had watched Southland Tales before <laughs> I rewatched this, <laughs> and there is another movie by Richard Southland E. Kelly, That's which four is not, hours. I know, we'll get into this later, but like, I'll say that it does feature an extremely exposition y voiceover. Mm. which Donnie Darko, I think we know who this family is by the end of the sequence. We get the vibe. It's yes. kind of like we know where they live. We know their relationships with each other. I, you get so much from this sequence. And um, also the playing with the time, it's so weird to think of that time tracking thing as in you slow, slow motion and then goes back to normal. Yeah, it has this vari- variable frame rate. And I, a- I think these montages are like, it's hard to do that well. Because I always, I think I'm a real sucker for it. I think it's my kink. I'm like, I love a like, montage that introduces characters that has a cool song. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. I wish my life was just all that. Yeah. Know, just like, that's all that's happening. It would make life easier if it was like, hey, we're going to this party. Like, just introduce everyone and then you come in on a scene that actually matters. That's how I enter parties. I walk in, the music's playing and I slowly pan in on people's faces and then I go to another face and then I look closely at a red cup and then I follow a little ping pong ball landing in the cup. Oh my God, you're holding a knife. You're going upstairs. Oh my God, it's your sister. Oh, yeah. yeah, no, I, 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 I'm not popular. Yeah, <laughs> I really love these montages and I have a lot of time for them because it just tells you so much without like, they, we do have a family scene directly after, which also gives more kind of, but they throw us yeah. right in the middle of that. Yeah. I love the dinner scene. Yeah, Donnie well. rides into his house. There's that m- amazing moment where uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal tries to get her father's attention while he's uh, blowing leaves outside and he turns the leaf blower towards her and she like freaks out. That's real. That's, yeah, just, that's, that's just good gear. I gotta say. That's just good dad gear. That uh, that actor, um, Holmes Osborne, mm-hmm. is my favourite part of this. My favourite yeah, my favourite actor in this movie. I think everyone's doing good work. I think he is so good in this movie. I think he's great he's in it. Because he's so disinterested and like da- like like deliberately like removed for a lot of it. And, and he's the a classic ending. like 80s dad, 80s, dad. 80s conservative suburban dad. Yep. Like is really in that zone of like, like- funny and caring. Yeah. That leaf blower moment, I was like, oh yeah, that this is the guy. This is my guy for this movie. He's so, <laughs> it's so charming the Turn way it he off. does it. They we're done here. Yeah, we're let's done. all go home. We also see that- uh, Mum Darko, Rose Darko, also, uh, Mary McDonnell is reading Stephen King's It. I don't want to s- spoil my things for the end of this episode, but holy smokes, Mary McDonnell is incredible in this movie. I agree with that um, as well. She's good in everything. She's so good. Mm. But mm. my God, does she love to tear up in every scene. <sighs> She's she's Every just got she like has scene. a constant like sparkle in her eye like she's just about to cry. Yeah, it's really good. It works. I think in it's this powerful. Lot. I should mention that where is Donnie is written on the fridge. We I have several also... kind of weird things written on the fridge, which is good. Which of course S Darko replicates in the worst possible way. I'd like to point out the song 
uh, in the director's cut is different. Yes, so, I wanted to double check this with you because I yeah. watched the director's cut more recently. So this is a huge thing. So Echo and the Bunnymen, similar to the Tears for Fears thing where he just decided that he was going to time it to that without the rights. They got the rights to that one. They couldn't get the rights to In Excess's, is it Never Tear Us Apart? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah there was yeah, Never yeah, Tear Us right. Apart. Love Will Tear Us uh, Apart. No, it was in excess. Never tear us apart. Never oh. tear us apart. Love will tear us apart. Is joined later. Do, in the do, movie. do, 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 yeah, do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. So that he timed that to that apparently, and then when the director's cut came around, they had the money to get that song, so he replaced right. it, and it is way worse. The Echo of the Bunny Man song <laughs> is so much better to the point where most of the critics are just like, "That was really dumb. Like it didn't, it mm. didn't work. Like why did you take out an iconic '80s song that was like, I think, a bit more in the tone." Of it as yeah. well. Apparently, the lead singer of Echo and the Bunny Man said, like, was angry about it. He was like, well, "That was dumb." Yeah, why'd you replace yeah, he me? He was like, "Why'd you replace Bro, I our fixed song? your movie for you. Are you serious? So, I that's another reason why the director's cut is um, inferior. It's just because mm. that little change. It's interesting that yeah, director's cut being inferior is always like an interesting thing of like, oh, you've you've put your hands in this too much. The director's cut is interesting because I think it is objectively much worse paced. I think that's the thing that really screws it up, it slows the movie down in yeah. a really bad way. And it's I kind of that's, that's let's what, be real, it takes minutes? a village to make a fucking movie, right? That's right. When hey, you have an author part of the premise of the podcast. When you have an author who's twenty five years old, who's a, never done a film before, yeah. and you give them ultimate creative freedom, like you no one is gonna unless you're Orson Wells. <laughs> Like no yeah. one's gonna there, have. There is one exception. <laughs> you're it's not fucking awesome. Like I think a lot of those. You know, I'm not saying Richard Ke- Kelly's had some amazing ideas for this film. Like it's what? A, what yeah. a great script. Like what? I mean, what a great idea. What a great like. Mm. I feel like, but um, to have certain creative restraints on you is often a good thing. Yeah, it's the classic Star Wars um, thing. It's yeah. like as soon as uh, George Lucas didn't have a really good editor and some really tight producers holding his leash, his movies sort of spiraled. Got better. In. <laughs> oh, yes. that was so easy. That was the, uh, that was move, the, the lowest, move on. the lowest apple um, in the tree. Let's just before we move on, I also love uh, the Phantom him. <laughs> I also love him riding through. Before we get to the montage through Middlesex, the town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that the town is its own character. I love saying that. Oh, like that's a wanker. So true. That's so true. Um, but I do think like the townspeople, like Beth Grant, has something to do with that. You know, you have like. We get it. You know, we're rich. We're like upper middle class yeah. here. Upper middle class suburbia. His, 80s. Their house is so big. It's huge. Like yeah. they, it, Chandelier. That, yeah, they're so rich. Like the, I think that's a weird thing in this movie of like, oh, they're upper middle class, but you're looking at them and like, I don't know if I'm looking at them through modern eyes, but I'm like, God, that, that place is massive. Mm. And it's even in that tracking shot. It's like you, he spends like maybe a minute going all the way around the front yard and yeah. you're like, you get the full house and it looks like the White House in a movie that can't get the White House. <laughs> All right, it's not quite that big. It's gigantic. Uh, it's interesting, I guess. We can't, get the ha- we can't get the White House. Well, you We've know what you do? You, we always use Donnie Darko's house. I guess seeing a character who's like an outcast be from extreme wealth in these, like usually st- like stereotypically in teen movies, it's kind of like... The rich, popular kid has the mansion, like blah yeah, blah. Yeah, but I think yeah. everyone in this movie is rich, so you know. Yeah, yeah. They all playing golf. Yeah. They play golf all the time. Everyone's rich, but everyone's tortured, except for Seth Rogen and Alex Greenwald. We'll get to them. Uh, sorry, we're on scene two. This is the dinner table pizza scene. How do you suck a fuck? So in this scene, we get the first kind of moments of like the Dukakis George H W Bush kind of thing. This kind of like conservatism versus liberalism, which I don't think. I- it really ever kind of flourishes into like a theme of the movie, but it's just like the underlying kind of context that the the movie is kind of talking through. I don't think it's the theme of the movie, but it is very important to this movie's like framing of yuppie angst, like the conflict between, as we 
Seago on Maggie Gyllenhaal and her uh, Holmes over politics and this idea of him being like, you're naive for being, it, it's a classic thing that right-wing people say that is annoying. It's like anyone who is, uh, who isn't left-wing before they're 20 is a psychopath and everyone who is still left-wing after they're 30 is uh, single. <laughs> it's like this idea of like, you right, have to I become see. conservative to have a family, yeah, which yeah, is, yeah, I yeah. think, tied very deeply into yuppie ideals. And this movie is all about yuppie angst and like trying to break out from being, pri- trying to, it's trying to break out from being privileged. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That I, is, yeah. How are you sad when you're privileged? A yeah, large yeah. Um, part of the reason why he set it in 1988 and not in modern day, because apparently there was a time where he actually tried to modernise it. And then, like, as in modernize it to 1998 when it was writing or whatever, like. But he was just like, I think that the end of the 80s coming of age sort of screen, we have like Reagan. Well, in this, it's, it's Dukakis versus George Bush. George Bush, right? But it's like the end of the Reagan yeah, era. End of the Reagan era. And I think, like, a large reason why people were interested in this film is that Donnie Darko presented, like, the voice of the displaced youth. You know, that was sort of the vibe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially know? coming into the 90s as yeah. well. Like, I can kind of see it of, like, like Donnie Darko if it was made in the 80s which it wasn't would be like a you know there's a lot of there's a lot of uh dorm room walls with a nirvana poster next to a donnie darko yeah, post, exactly. uh, poster out there a, there's a um disenfranchised mm. tone to it which disenfranchised and donnie continues guy, that yeah. and donnie continues out the whole way through the film you know mm. every time he calls out it's so frustrating so we also reveal that donnie has stopped taking his medications which doesn't come back because he continues to take his medications throughout the rest of the film i will say this is an example of the dichotomy of this movie where you've got this incredible intro of all these characters that you don't need to say a word and you immediately get them and then richard kelly comes in and over explains in the next scene yeah a little absolutely bit. i think and it this happens- is a real Wee! Which um, I think Richard Kelly does in his scripts in general. And it happens later with Gretchen and like, oh like, exposition dub, but I'm like, you don't have to. Yeah, this this film has some sweaty dialogue that doesn't need it. But there is the great sucker fuck uh, interaction, which I think all of that sequence is unfunny until Holmes laughs. <laughs> yeah, that is really good when he's like, that's actually a pretty good joke. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, uh, <laughs> Did you just the, call me a fuck ass? Sorry, <laughs> yeah, I love the, do- the daughter pipes up, S. Darko herself, Sarah Darko. Yes. Uh, goes, Samantha, Samantha Darko. Samantha Darko uh, goes, the lead uh, of Sparkle Motion. The lead of Sparkle Motion goes, what's a fuck ass? And then the dad just cracks up and it's, it, it saves the scene for me. I um, think my favourite part of the scene is Mary McDonald's wine glass being like a generous <laughs> for of like, you know, she's giving, she's giving wine mum this yeah. entire film. God, she's so good. She's giving, I'm actually smarter than my husband, but I've given up it all to be a housewife who resents, you know what I mean? She's really, she's like the Absolutely. anti- Her and Beth Grant, they are like, that dichotomy of character. And it's why it's why that scene is like the scene in the first Avengers. It's like when when Beth Grant and Rose Darko have a scene together. It's like when Thor and Captain America <laughs> are finally like, whoa, <laughs> these two giants. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I agree. I agree. Uh, it fucking rules. So Donnie's reading later, and Rose Darko comes in and, is, and wants to know where he goes at night. He calls his mother a bitch, and then Dad Darko's response is, "You're not a bitch. You're bitching, but you're not a bitch." My f- that's uh, the other thing. That's really, really good that's stuff. The other thing that holds this movie together is. That they love each other. I don't think. Oh, yeah, that's the, the healthiest sex life of any married couple I have ever seen represented on my screen. <laughs> Without ever seeing them have sex. No, like there's like, just this intense cheeky love, which is so nice to see. They're always holding each other and like always. Yeah. They have a healthy relationship. You know? Yeah, like she gave up her career, sure, but she. She loves her husband. Yeah, I think she like. I think she's <laughs> we don't know pretty happy. Character. I just made that up, but that's <laughs> she, what I got. She. It feels like she's happy. She. It feels like they're both happy, which is 
I think, really important. Well, what's yeah. interesting is the movie doesn't work if he's in a troubled household, weirdly. Absolutely, because hmm. that's a part of it. It's like it's kind of nice to see, you know, like the stereotype of like he's from a troubled, broken home and therefore he's crazy. And But it's just kind of like, no, no, this is kid has got like everything you could possibly ask for. It's hmm. like a very loving house, lots of money, How going mean? to a good school. He's smart. He's got like... Maggie Gyllenhaal is a sister. Well, that's weird. I don't know why that appear. <laughs> She's cool. <laughs> it would be cool to have Maggie Gyllenhaal as a sister. It would be, be very confusing cool. for me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And we're moving on. So Donnie takes his pills before bed. He's not happy. He's sort of kind of a disaffected youth, you might say. <laughs> mm-hmm. Later, everyone's asleep. The dad, well, not everyone, the dad is watching Dukakis and George H.W. Bush debate. He obviously loves George H.W. He's like, tell him, George, which is very no, funny. He quietly goes, Dukakis. <laughs> <laughs> then, um, bang, we're in uh, Donnie's bedroom. We hear a voice say, wake up. Yeah, no, bad, bad, I, bad. Um, and then Donnie gets up and then it pans up to an American flag, which is so lame. Yeah, we, we so were so crazy. It's so crazy uh, like to have a, a shot quite as lame as that. But also, like, why would Donnie have an American flag on his... I, get, I, I know Americans are crazy. Americans are weirdos and they love their flag. But, like... A teenage boy having, can you imagine, like, me, disaffected, rich white boy, having an Australian flag on my (laughs) roof? That would be- It's weird, That would be like, that's more schizophrenic than seeing a a bunny rabbit. Like (laughs) It's actually, it's out of character for Donnie as well. Yeah. Like, I I think it makes sense if it was just in the house somewhere, because, like, the dad would have an American flag. Absolutely, yeah. Like, the parents would, but, I mean, for Donnie too- it's weird. The American flag is used in this film in frankly baffling ways. It's <laughs> completely bad. It has no idea what it's saying about the country America. It's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> so Donnie walks past his sleeping father to find Frank outside. Frank is a big rabbit suit guy. A six uh, foot tall bunny rabbit. Who tells uh, him that the world is going to end in 28 days, six hours, 42 minutes and 12 seconds. I do have some stuff on the actually creation of the bunny suit. Yes. Mm. Um, so obviously Richard Kelly sketched out Frank's face himself those sketches you can see later in the film they're the ones that um frank the guy is um like looking at and april ferry basically created the fursuit herself and recruited a sculptor create the twisted grin because frank doesn't have to perform any big stunts or even do much walking in the film the mask itself has extremely limited visibility and then kelly says i was very adamant that it had to make an impact it has to disturb people it has to make the audience sit up in their seat and have a really intense response and he talks about like the first time they came on set that everyone just kind of like stopped and looked at the fucking bunny suit and were like like it like changed the thing in the room it's like obviously iconic for a reason but it's like one of the most incredible costume designs i would like to read to you a few snippets from april april ferry's career flubber jurassic world elysium the box, Richard Kelly's movie, <laughs> Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines. Machines will rise. The machines will rise. I don't know. That's, that seems like a fun miniseries to me. I would love to do April Ferry. Put him on the list. The ominous char- character is inspired by Richard Adams' dystopian novel, Watership Down, which I have never... Have you guys done a... Have you, have you been down the watership? <laughs> I, I'm taking the so silence of a du- yes. In the director's <laughs> cut, Drew Barrymore teaches that book. It replaces. Uh, oh my god! Yeah, no, no, no. It's so heavy-handed. There is an abs- there's no ambiguity oh, there. There, I, oh, my notes for this are all on the director's cut. So there are going to be scenes I'm going to pull out that you just haven't seen. I just Lincoln. haven't seen and don't want to. And that, oh god, there's some bad shit in the director's cut. Then we have this incredible sequence where Maggie Gyllenhaal comes home. That that incredible kind of chandelier sequence where it's in this kind of like moving uh, uh, variable frame rate. Um, 
I think Richard Kelly gets so much out of this chandelier and stairwell. I think it is so well, like everything, he uses it a lot through the movie where he's like panning up through it and like looking back down it and with the chandelier itself. I think it's like, a very good use of space. Richard Kelly talked about in conversations with the cinematographer, uh, he really used um, Peggy Sue Got Married, the Francis Ford Coppola movie, as like the reference, that, that movie's set in the 60s, I, I watched it recently. That movie's set in the 60s and is this kind of nostalgic, very shiny look at 60s high school. And this basically lifts that and then takes it to the 80s. And it's like, it's kind of uncanny that they're like, oh, these movies are actually in fully in the same like photographic world. Like there's stuff like very simple, like glinting off cars, like the way that lights hits cars as like the camera's moving, which is just, like almost a stolen shot, but like on a car that's 20 years later. It's it's fascinating. And Peggy Sue Got Married is a, is a movie made, I believe in the 80s, early 80s, about the 60s. Mm. This is a movie made in the late 90s about the 80s. And there's that, that kind of like, they're both kind of nostalgic looks back at- Yeah, um, they're deconstructions for nostalgia. Yeah, yeah. Then next day, Donnie wakes up on a golf course. Patrick Swayze is there playing golf with some guy. He says, guess he was sleep golfing. Pretty good, pretty good line. Good stuff. Um, so then Donnie walks home to discover a jet engine has fallen onto his bedroom. Um, if he was there, he almost certainly would have died. The FAA is there and want to talk to the parents in private. One of the most ineffective cops I've ever seen in a movie. Absolutely. Yeah, Donnie's like, that's my house. And he's like, you, you can't, can't get go in. in. And he's like, that's my house. And just, the cop's like, well. No, Donnie <laughs> pushes past him and the cop turns, looks at him, and then slowly turns back <laughs> away. Did the family know that he wasn't in the room at this yes. point? Okay. Yeah, I think that because they, they, they haven't found the body, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. that's and why they're all see, so chill about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're all so chill about the scenario. They're like, oh, there he is. <laughs> yeah, I think it like, is. Donnie. I think it is. They know he's like, walk, so. Yeah. yeah, I think it's clear from their reaction. And I think there is a line, and I, there's dialogue to support. I just can't exactly remember what it is. Mm. I also think Maggie Gyllenhaal gives an absolutely brilliant line delivery on this whilst Jake is looking up at the crushed house. And she uh, kind of laughs her way through, they still don't know where it came from about yeah. the jet engine. Yeah, talking about like the FAA is like, they have no idea where this jet engine and she came from. Like, kind of laughs as if it's a joke. And then, if you watch closely, she spikes the camera. She just goes, they still don't know where it came from. <laughs> That's so, I just, I just read, this is going off on a full tangent, I apologize. Um, there's a guy that, there's a big Twitter thread where a guy was going through um, Stanley Kubrick's The Shining and pointing out every time that Jack Nicholson spikes the camera. Mm. And it's like this, uh, like, he's like, I think it has to be purposeful yeah. because it's like in it's every, there's Kubrick. just this like, <laughs> so, yeah, it's like, yeah. The, I don't think he'd <laughs> let it slide. He wouldn't be like, ah, Jackie boy, you're fine. No, Jack was um, allowed to take two takes or three yeah, yeah, takes. Yeah, yeah. It was Shelley that wasn't allowed to spike uh, the camera. Yeah, it's just this thing of like, oh, it's this purposeful thing of like inviting the audience into what's happening. And it's like this very, very subtle. Um, anyway, that's I, just- I, I mean, there's so many. This film, I feel like particularly Jake Gyllenhaal with his Kubrick stare, with his like a lot of Kubrick in this film. A lot yeah. of yeah. a lot of shining. A, yeah, a lot of yeah. A lot of Kubrick. A lot of including spiely. big people wearing um, you know, wearing animal suits. It's also a shining vibe. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. A little where's less fellatio in this version, but you know. Yeah. yeah. Where's the Frank sex scene? So then we cut to the Darkos are now staying in a hotel. They are kind of wondering what happened to the engine. And then we come back to school. Can we and talk about Samantha getting bullied by Maggie Gyllenhaal's character in that line, in that scene? Where oh, she's what did she like, say? she's a little girl. She's a small girl. She's yeah, she's ten years old. Or and something, she's eight just years like, old. hang on, if the you know if the plane engine, like, she's like, what happened to the plane? And Maggie's like, that's the point. Like, kind of like shuts her down. Really, <laughs> they don't know, dumbass. Yeah, something like that. And I'm like, oh. 
God. Okay. Does she get her revenge in Estarco? Because I just... just, (laughs) No. Does she get her revenge in Estarco? No, she doesn't. So uh, we come back to school. Donnie's lucky-ass friends are impressed that he didn't die. Uh, And they say, (laughs) and now that you're famous, you've got to have a smoke, which is great. It's so good. Um, And he says, what happens if you tell mum and dad about this? And then uh, Sam goes, Ariel goes in the garbage disposal. And then Jake delivers... You're goddamn right. <laughs> it's such an action movie line, and I goddamn love it. his take on it. It's really, really good. Um, we get the famous Tears for Fears long tracking shot. Several ch- shots kind of cut together, and we kind of walk through the whole school. Uh, we see Beth Grant. Uh, she's holding a poster that says "Attitudinal Beliefs" and has the highest hair you've ever seen. And I. Absolutely incredible cock of the eyebrow. Like yes. it's up there, and she is, you know, you know who this woman is immediately. Incredible. Uh, this is my favorite sequence. Me too. By, by a country mile. I love this. Is the thing that when recently we were talking about Donnie Darko before we even started this podcast, I was like, the thing about what the thing that works about Donnie Darko is all the high school stuff. And all this the is the sequence I think about. Yeah. Also, well, all the high school stuff. All the high school stuff is well shot. I have such doubts <laughs> about some of the scenes in in the high school stuff where you're like, that is so clunkily written, mm. so like ugly, but also maybe it's purposeful. And I think that's kind of maybe what's good I about think it. We'll is have a like- lot to talk about in future scenes, particularly between the two leads uh, yes. in I- terms of clunky dialogue. But just one tiny note. 19 minutes and 58 mm. seconds is, is, is the Beth, Beth clock. Entrance. The Beth clock. The Beth trance. Uh. I rallied behind montages. I've talked on about montages and how I'm obviously a fan of the tracking shot uh-huh. in particular. I think that this, the new version of any high school movie that like, because again, similar to the introduction of the family, we now know the social dynamics of this high school. Mm. We know who the bullies are. Oh, we know who, right. the, who the cool kids are. We know who the outcasts, we know the teachers, we know everything, like just from that one sequence. Nowadays, when people write that, it's the mean girls like tour through the cafeteria. Yeah, yeah. So I was yeah. like, that's where the bad jokes are. Like that yeah, kind of thing. Like, that's where all the like- bad jokes are. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> yeah, that's our crew name. We call ourselves the bad jokes. Bad we suck. Joke. Tina Fey and Amy Re- uh, Paula really went on their first instinct for that script. <laughs> but like, <laughs> no rewrite. That's the bad jokes. That's the mean girl. Uh, but this is Gary. He sucks. <laughs> <laughs> There are so many now like rip-offs of that. And I think this is like the OG kind of version of that where it's like you get the dynamics, but it's like done in a more subtle, less exposition-y way. Yeah. Less kind of of meta, like winking at the camera kind of way. Richard Kelly very much at his best when there is no dialogue. (laughs) Seriously, seriously. Um, But uh, one thing I just need to point out in this sequence that I forgot both times I watched it and every time I'm like, that's such a wild choice. When we meet the bullies, one of whom is Seth Rogen one of his first film. Famous bully, Seth Rogen. Famous bully. He had done Freaks and Geeks. That's what I was wondering. I didn't check. The same casting director cast both. Same character. Um, But Is he a bully in Freaks and Geeks? Yes. He's one of their friends. He's like a dickhead of their friends. There's the freaks and there's the geeks. And he's one of the freaks. But they're doing coke in the middle of the... Yeah, yeah, they they are doing coke at their locker. They're doing a key of coke at their (laughs) locker. Beth Grant is not Four meters away, <laughs> and they're just doing like smoking weed under like under the bleachers or yeah, whatever. That makes sense. sense to me. Doing blow <laughs> at your locker is like, I, I you know I didn't go to. But this is like a public. This is a private school. This is the kind of school. Yeah, they're doing I coke. They're to. rich. Mm. No one did coke. <laughs> 
on the well, I guess no one invited me to do coke at my school. Um, <laughs> you you weren't cool enough for the coke it's, guys. No, it's a totally these are the coke guys. <laughs> it's bizarre. It doesn't make any sense. We love it. Yeah, we meet pretty much all the main characters. We get that alternating. Fr- the sometimes undercranked, sometimes overcranked sort of thing, which is really fun. And then we cut to Drew Barrymore. She's teaching Donnie an English class about Graham Greene's The Destructors. She's kind of going through and is like, why would these kids in the Graham Greene novel have gone into the house and burn it down? And Donnie says, destruction is a form of creation. <laughs> then Gretchen, the new girl in class, arrives. Drew can tells we, her, uh, well. Can we please just point out how mean Drew is to that girl that tries to answer the question? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, awful. Is, is that Diddy? <laughs> She's like, what did she say? They wanted to rob him, and she's like, "If you'd bothered to read, yeah, like, if you'd bothered 13, to read it, Joni, you would have thirteen seen pages. It's like beyond your capability. Like, <laughs> they, like, just being like, you are stupid. You are a stupid child. They burn. Some- <laughs> also, Jay Gyllenhaal having his Joker moment. It's like some people just want to watch the world burn. I know it's That's like the, the vibe. Same. This um, whole movie is Jake Gyllenhaal's and, Joker uh, moment. And this, this is like my big thing with the movie is that. He says destruction is a form of creation and Drew looks at him like he's the smartest person in the world. And I think we're supposed to, as an audience, be like, bro, he's so right about that. And I think that sucks. (laughs) That (laughs) happens multiple times in this film. Yes. Where Donnie says something we're supposed to be like, are we yeah, meant let's to be go fuck the man. <laughs> and he's like being like, I think all religions should be burnt. And you're like, what, Donnie? No. Just on Drew, she is seen in the uh, in the earlier montage with the science teacher as well. And I mm, put the- Hot science teacher. We who's will her partner, yeah? Get to him. Yeah, well, I just wanted to put uh, read out my direct notes from that. Uh, Drew and the science teacher have more chemistry in a single shot than Toby and Drew had the entire three <laughs> Spider-Mans. Oh, wait, that was Kirsten Dunst. <laughs> and then under that- that. Still true. (laughs) Still true. Gretchen, the new girl in class, arrives. Drew, of course, tells her to sit next to the boy you think is the cutest. Um, Just a (laughs) a super normal kind of teaching technique. So Gretchen kind of eyes Donnie. Drew Barrymore immediately goes, Joni, get the fuck up. (laughs) Joni, get up from your seat. She's like, this relationship is happening. It's like the beginning of Simon Says, like the Godzilla theme, and then Drew just goes, get the fuck up. (laughs) To be fair, I have said, uh, to be fair, Jake Gyllenhaal is... Very clearly the most snackable dude in oh, the class. Yeah. So, like, it's not Gretchen's fault. Um, oh, I kind of like the Coke guy. <laughs> you're, you're, you're like an Alex Greenwald head. <laughs> you know, he's a musician now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Well, shocking. I'm into shocking. that guy. I just... <laughs> Who could have imagined? Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've said that there's such a swing in this movie from seeming like a parody of these stereotypes. Like, uh, uh, Drew Barrymore as the cool teacher almost seems to go too far in, into self-parody. She's but not... then the movie offers no parodical judgment about that thing. It's like, it's obviously... Gretchen's dialogue and Drew Barrymore's dialogue and Donnie's dialogue is so hard and very, like, so rough to listen to that it's kind of hard to tell if it's purposeful or not. Her whole teaching style is so bananas. Like, it does not... Every... every (laughs) One of her (laughs) lessons is writing the word cellar door on on the the blackboard and then I assume leaving. Yes, that was her exit. So, no wonder she gets fired. Like, I was supposed to be, like... She should be fired. (laughs) She should have been fired clearly months ago because the first... She's also, unfortunately, so horny for Donnie. Like, that is the thing that makes this even more baffling is that she's, like, she's testing Gretchen to see, like, do you know who the hot boy is? Fully agrees with Gretchen. And then it's like vicariously living out this relationship with Donnie Darko. Very and her partner is also kind of into Donnie. Yeah. You know, that's, well, that's, that's uh, actually We'll get into hot science teacher. We will, we will dive bananas. into hot science teacher. From ER. Uh, is he from ER? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. good. 
Um, so now we're after school. Uh, Donnie Darko and Dad Darko are driving in the car and almost run over Roberta Sparrow or Grandma Death. Donnie gets out of the car. Grandma Death whispers something in her ear, in his ear, but we don't hear what it is. Um, then we finally see Donnie's therapist. We're in therapy now. It's the lady from The Graduate. Donnie <laughs> says, I made a new friend. She says, real or imaginary? Very famous. Um, uh, he says imaginary because if that, that wasn't <laughs> clear, he thinks that, that Frank is imaginary, which of course Frank is not. Next day, they're back in class watching Patrick Swayze's educational video where he talks about fear and love. There's like one shot of Beth Grant looking at this TV and she looks like she's looking at a newborn baby. Mm-hmm. It is an incredible piece of just like listening, acting. It's such good work. He's so good. Bang, we're in a dream sequence where Donnie's school is in the ocean and he wakes up mm. and prompted by Frank, Donnie takes an ax to the school's piping, <laughs> metal and water. That, that will come up later mm-hmm. everyone uh, is next day um reacting to the school being say they made me do it yeah and then yeah. of course he's written they made me do it uh, around the thing which is um pretty dark actually it's kind of actually a bit spooky don't uh, you guys pretty donny dark it's pretty donny dark it's actually. pretty donny dark i also love the janitor I think Janitor, who's explaining that the, mm. how the entire school has been... And he's like, oh, is this ever going to stop? And he's like, eventually, man. <laughs> uh, you don't even know the half of it. Like, yeah. he does... I just wrote that that guy earns his paycheck. Like, he just delivers so hard in the two scenes that he's in and then disappears from the movie. Incredible performance. Yeah. <laughs> just needs to look I say that about it. everything. So everyone's reacting to the school being flooded the next day. Uh, we get the great line, what a feces, baby mice, which mm-hmm. just is like a fun little line. And also, Donnie's buried an axe into the mongrel which is a great thing of like fully doesn't make sense in like the world of the movie. Like he doesn't have super strength. Yes, Isn't he it? does. Oh, he does have super strength because he can do anything now. No, okay. it's because uh, so no, no, no. there Let's are some there it. are some interstitials that you have not seen because they're part of the director's cut, which okay. are flash ups on the screen over the most shitty Windows movie maker water effect that you've ever seen that have so lines from the philosophy of time travel mm. in it. And one of I don't I think it is at this point the Receiver will develop many strange powers, including super strength, telekinesis, and the ability to control fire and water. So he drives the axe into the head of the mongrel using his new super strength. Cool. Which makes this next scene even dumber, where Gretchen says, what kind of a name is Donnie Darko? Sounds like a superhero. Mm. Because he's getting powers. Mm. I think that's cool, actually. (laughs) So then we see, yeah, as you say, Seth Rogen and Alex Greenwald are are bullying Gretchen. Um, Donnie saves her and they start chatting. We get Gretchen's family history, which is incredibly hectic mm-hmm. um her trauma dumps real hard he, and she like immediately like gives it all away is like yeah. never holding back did you miss seth rogan's best line which is i like your boobs <laughs> so i i am so sorry it <laughs> how is. dare you i think it's one of two lines that he utters yeah and he might have two lines and and i they would are, be willing to bet there's a car coming and i like your boobs i think i'd be willing to bet money that he improvised that line oh like there's I, no way that 100%. seth rogan did not improvise. i like your boobs like in that voice the other uh, bully is quite intimidating and unpleasant and you're like you, you feel worried for gretchen in this moment and I think that that had hung in he's the like air. He's like got multiple knives. Yeah. That guy's he's wandering around with a bunch of knives and then doing coke in his locker. He's doing coke in his locker at that night. I wild. can change him. <laughs> That's all yeah. I'll say. But I think Seth Rogen's just, Seth Rogen comes out at the end of that scene and just goes, I like your boobs. And it is it cuts through the tension of that moment and allows Donnie to come in and mm. then it be, be cute. Because I think if that had gone on one minute longer, that becomes a her- like. It takes over the entire scene. I really like Jenna Malone as an actor. 
I think I don't think she's like incredible in this per se. There's a reason she's always cast in a particular role when she was younger. And now actually in The Hunger Games she plays a similar vibe where it's like she plays that kind of like troubled, a little bit of an outsider uh, love interest very, very well. And I don't know if you guys have had the pleasure of watching a movie called Life is a House starring Hayden Christensen, no, Kevin Klein, and Jenna Malone. Life is, it life is a house or life as a house? Life as a house. Life as a house. And so it's, it's a, about the house's experience? <laughs> so from memory, it's about um, Hayden Christensen plays a, uh, a drug-addicted teen who is like rebellious and okay. off the rails. It's sort of Alex Greenwald and he gets sort of sent, situation. He gets sent to his dad to live with his dad who is building and helps him build a house over the summer. Okay. And his dad's estranged and he gets sent there because his mum can't handle him anymore. So he gets sent to this like beachside and him and his dad build a house and in doing so rebuild their relationship. Wow. And Christian That's the power of movies. Hayden Christensen I had the biggest crush on him in that film. Well was it, he in good life in it? as a house. Yeah. yeah. Was he a good in it? When did this come out? Certainly not. Uh, before, 2022. Same year, 2001. Same year. Yeah, I've right. actually heard he's not bad in that. I've heard, he's good in I've it. heard people be like, it's the performance that makes you kind of wish he didn't disappear off the face didn't of the earth. Star Wars. He, so he was young and it was like one of the first things he did. And I remember he was really like, I was taken with it. I'd love to yeah. rewatch that film because I remember thinking it was a masterpiece. It definitely isn't. Like I think, but Jenna Malone plays a very similar, like Girl Next Door. She's very forthright, like mm. very kind of like says it how it is. I yeah. remember in one scene she like jumps in the shower with him, doesn't care, like kind of she's just like very like whatever. And I think she plays that well. She's in Hunger Games as um, Joanna Mason, as one of the victors. Oh, so she's got the axe yes. and she's the one that's like, um, I just got out of here and you want to kill me again. Like, is, Oh, you. so she's like, in Hunger Games too. Yeah, she's, she games. plays um, Joanna Mason. It's like a great character. She's really good. Anyway, oh. she plays those kind of roles a lot and I think she does that well. I want to ask, what do we think about the dialogue in this scene? Awful. (laughs) Okay, I I have a whole thing about it. When I first saw the specific dialogue, uh, you're weird, sorry, that was a compliment actually. I thought it was the coolest thing ever. And I was like, that should be how all people speak forever. It opened the door to my heart. Yes. As like afterwards and that line becoming relatively famous and I was like, that is some of the worst dialogue I've ever seen. That is awful. Now coming to it with an open heart and an open mind, I'm like, it is really charming. Like it's just like, it's charming and dorky and it sucks but is kind of, there's like something in there that is like cute to me that I like. I think the raw edginess of these two teenagers is Good. I think the trauma dumping, the I, you're weird, I like it, the monologue about soap, and I think this is why it, maybe Richard Kelly should never make anything but a high school movie. Mm. It fits into the language of these kids. I think it is actually very effective at establishing both character and intimacy between them because they both live in this outcast world in their own heads. It's that thing of when you're a teenager and you're like, my life is a movie. And you're like, yeah. bro, no, no, it's no, it's not. Yeah, I think it is. I think the I think whether or not it's intentional doesn't matter. I think yeah. it is really good teenage dialogue. It's good tonality. It's just weird, weird when it's also Drew Barrymore. <laughs> yeah, it's when Drew Barrymore is speaking like that. You're like, huh? And, but then when it's just- Every single character is speaking like yeah. that. But, it's when, but when it's just in the mouths of these two teenagers who think of themselves this way, yeah. I think it works really well. I think that scene is actually very good. I think we actually, when we watched it together, we were drunk. Just might, We've rewatched it since, but we, we watched we it watched together. It- Dead sober. Yeah. But when we first watched it, we were quite drunk. I remember we were debating about this scene. I remember you raised a good point 
And when I was rewatching it yesterday, I was like, yeah, it's the music that kills it. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. that weird, like. The music beep, is beep, this beep, weird beep, kind beep. of jaunty <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think that Richard Kelly thinks that he's a comedy writer. Um, he thinks he's pretty funny. He thinks and he's like, a funny honestly, guy. There are funny moments in this film. Like yeah. this film is actually way funnier than I remembered. I don't know how much that's his dialogue or is he's just got a really good cast. But this this scene I don't think is, it's sort of like not funny enough to justify the jaunty music, yeah. the quirky music it's that comes on. It's a bizarre on. choice. But I, I think Jake and Jenna do a good job. Jake does the awkward thing real well. And my partner was watching and he pointed out that it's sort of giving – Christian Stewart in Twilight, Bella vibe. Um, yeah, from like, both from, of, of that, from, from both of them. They're <laughs> both two though, Christian Stewarts. He's like, oh, oh, yeah. Well, I just kind of, yeah, yeah. it's how, good. How long have you been into soap? <laughs> we need to do Twilight. We need to find someone in Twilight. Oh, oh we could do that Twilight. Cast easy. Stacked. That guy's the biggest cast in the world. I've always <laughs> wanted to focus on the dad from Twilight. Oh, he's the hottest. He's like, okay, when you're an adult, you're watching Twilight for Bella's dad. Yeah. He, that's when you go, that's when you know you've matured. Richard Swan. That's <laughs> when you know you've finally yeah, become I'm a woman. Yeah, I'm finally a woman. I went, oh, Bella's dad's hot. Later, uh, cops Sorry. are trying to find out who flooded the school. <laughs> They're like writing on the chalkboard to see if Donnie's uh, handwriting matches. Uh, Alex Greenwald holds a knife to Donnie's throat, thinking that it was him, but Alex is being blamed. Hectic scene that never kind of... Yeah. Kind of doesn't. It goes yeah. anywhere. Um, oh, we, uh, extended cut of the therapist just doing bad therapy. Oh, great. Like there are, that, there are more therapy scenes in the uh, director's cut. I think that was, that was the editor did a good snip snip A good there. choice. Because they <laughs> the are- The therapist also, terrible therapist. Terrible therapist. Immediately goes to hypnotherapy, like has no, uh, nothing else in her bag. There's like, one- is like, uh, first let's talk about your problems. Okay, I don't know how to do that, how to deal with that. Let's go straight to hypnotherapy. Yeah, a lot of the shit in the therapy scenes is just her throwing stuff at the wall, especially stuff that's like been missed. And she goes like, well- you know, it's not stupid to believe in God. And you're just like, what the fuck is this? Also, in the director's cut, she states that the medication that Donnie Darko is taking is a placebo. It's so that weird. Is actually a part of the director's cut and it's not in the theatrical cut. Yeah, and I bad. was confused by it. And I was like, oh, yeah, so she... She really is not a good. No, she's she. <laughs> that kid should probably be medicated. Yeah, Throwing right. it out there. Yeah, of course. Like, oh, I think that Johnny like, Ducker hey. should be on some sort of medication. Yeah, like you know, um, I'm yeah. pro medication. Giving, <laughs> giving <laughs> a incredibly troubled teenage child a placebo and being like, it's part of my experiment. <laughs> it's also just not working. He's like, yeah. I'm hallucinating. Yeah, I'm hallucinating a man every in a night. There's a, well, she doesn't start giving him the placebo till that starts happening. No, he has, he has the placebo. He's medication the, the whole time. Oh no, she wants to up his medication once <laughs> that starts happening. Up the placebo? She upped the placebo. Sorry. And, Absolutely. Honestly, whoever edited the theatrical cut deserves all the awards. Well, yeah, like, that was like, a yeah, I think we'll get into it. Um, on the next scene with the knife guy, uh, big Stephen King bully vibes, though. Yes, like that's the thing. It's like, oh, this is a bull. This is just high school bully turned up to its nth degree. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's doing cocaine. He's holding knives to people's throats. Yeah, you know, just a normal bully. Normal bully, <laughs> and not a violent criminal. So then we cut away to a beautifully sunny, blown out field where Donnie shoots, assumedly someone's dad. Dad's rifle at some old liquor bottles. I think it's a BB gun. Yeah, it might be a BB gun. Uh, Donnie and his friends talk about the Smurfs and oh. Smurfette. Donnie schools his friends on Smurf lore. And this is another moment where I'm not sure if we're supposed to cheer about this. And I was like, <laughs> is this the sort of like nerd heroics that Marvel comics readers were kind of like howling about before? Obviously, Marvel and all nerddom kind of the capitalist meek inherited yeah, is the this earth. A, is, this a jo- is this a Joss Whedonism? Of like, uh, let me... 
let me school you about fucking the Smurfs and where we're supposed to be as the audience. Like, God, Donnie's so smart. <laughs> well, the I, I think it works if if the last line of this scene isn't, come on, Donnie, why you got to get so smart on us? And it's like, what do you mean? No, he just knows about Gargamel. <laughs> he's just he's just watched an episode of the Smurfs. And, I'll and tell his you, major point is that they don't have dicks, so is life worth living without a dick? That's his major takeaway. Yeah, that's his, yeah. Okay. Um, and I say... <sighs> Thanks for that, Jake. Okay, and then the boys watch as Beth Grant almost runs over Grandma Death, Roberta Sparrow, and then the boys are kind of watching and they spectate as they see Roberta Sparrow walk back and forth from her mailbox. I had completely forgotten about the walking back and forth and the resolution of that, even from the last time we watched it, maybe because we we had had a few lemonades. I think that... Uh, resolution rules. We'll get to it. Cut to an emergency PTA meeting. They've begun an investigation into the flooding of the school. Beth Grant wants to know why the filth that Drew Barrymore is teaching the Graham Greene book uh, is being taught at Middlesex. Beth Grant destroys the scene. I also think that this scene confirms that Joni, who was asked to move to make room for Donnie Darko, who I think definitely has a crush on Donnie Darko, of course. is Beth Grant's daughter. No, oh. Bethany's her daughter. But I think she must have two because she says it's being taught to my daughter in her class. Bethany's in the same in the Is same in age Motion. as Sparkle Motion, so she must have a second daughter. We only know one other daughter. We're cracking this case wide open. I have cracked this movie. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I, I think Joni's Beth Grant's uh, se- eldest daughter, who is like, <laughs> my teacher's insane. Uh, yeah. <laughs> she made some um, valid complaints. <laughs> my teacher's uh, absolutely bananas and is trying to make two other students have sex. I have a I like Donnie Darko and she's bullying me. Um, there's a there's a joke here that is is a classic uh, reference to something that I don't understand, mm-hmm. which is uh, do you even know who Graham Greene is? To which Beth Grant <laughs> replies, "We've all seen Bonanza." I looked up because Graham Greene was also an actor on Bonanza, so. Uh, I think good joke. So meanwhile, while that uh, PTA meeting is happening, Donnie has come against come up against an invisible wall in his bathroom and is having a chat with Frank about time travel. Um, then we cut to next day. It's Beth Grant's fear and love session. Mm-hmm. Uh, Donnie, I will say, is barely paying attention to this uh, lesson, gives no kind of care at all, which uh, he thinks the whole thing is stupid. And f- I would say it seems just like a fairly simple way to compartmentalize emotions in order to like uh, organize them. Like, I'm not saying it's like good, but I think it's like, it's a pretty simple exercise. And I know that it comes from like an evangelical place and it's like bad and uh, uh, very, very kind of religious kind of freaks. Uh, I don't know. Just seems like do it. I need to just debunk your theory about Joni. Different last name. Her name is Joni James and uh, Beth Farmer is Kitty Farmer. So, she does but you know what? They might be friends and she might have been complaining to her friend, Beth, okay. about, but yeah, sorry. I just just thought any Donnie Darko stands come for us. They're like, you got that wrong. You idiots. <laughs> That's the main part of it. Uh, I like key. this movie 30% less. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. This uh, scene is, is so good. Uh, this is kind of the thing that I was talking about of like Beth Grant is... Um, so hurt and offended, but mm. like rather than being like angry and furious, she just gets like she like shrinks. That Donny like Donny suggesting that they need to take into account all of human emotion. Yeah, I think she's so good. I think she's excellent. I think this scene is good. I am not here to defend the fear and love thing as much. I am. I think this still feels true. Well, at least to my high school experience of like, there is just some classes. I remember PDHPE, particularly being that PDHPE, uh, personal development, health, something, something. It's like PE theory. Oh God. Which is like a lot of stuff like this. Like a lot of it is don't do drugs Mm. for 
so many sessions. Then some of it is like sex education, which Did is you very ever important. school one of your teachers? Did you ever get up there and you <laughs> were like, uh, actually. <laughs> this is also where you see the wonderful clips of Patrick Swayze all edited together, I believe. There is a haunting edit in this. And this is not a funny thing. Like Patrick Swayze, as after he hugs one of the kids, gives him a little slap on the bum. And it Ooh. is so dark and I th- it is one of the few things in the director's cut I'm like you could kind of leave that in that's kind of that's, go- that's that's, that's kind of yeah. fucked up but that's like that's good subtle stuff so after Donnie tells Beth Grant to shove the uh, book up her ass he's called into a meeting with the principal and his parents um, they have a conversation it's insinuated that Donnie Darko is very smart in this sequence the principal says your Iowa test scores are intimidating and there is something about that that I really dislike. One, because of the like lumping mental instability and genius together, I, I think is generally a, a bad way to do it. And I also think, I think the movie is much more powerful if Donnie isn't smart. Like if his test scores are intimidating, it means like, you know, they're being like, well, your IQ's off the chart. And it's just like, I think it's much more interesting movie if you're just a normal guy. Do you think it works better or worse than the idea of like, this movie being about like someone that has everything still being sad? Like do, is him being smart adding to the what do you do when you have angst about nothing kind of sub thing because I can see arguing both ways that if he's really smart it does take away from this like everyman story but at the same time I'm like if this really is trying to talk about how do you deal with being depressed when you're this privileged which this movie kind of is doing is his exceptionalism important an important part of that uh, idea and I don't know which way yeah I don't know there's also I mean I think a big problem f- as well with it is like Donnie never comes across as more intelligent than anyone else in this film. Like he never says anything. The film states that he is. Yeah, the film keeps saying that he is, stuff. but it's like because he can, he knows stuff about the Smurfs. He knows soap. <laughs> like, and that's so I'm, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I just think if he, like the movie would be stronger if he was just like of average intelligence or yeah. it just wasn't mentioned that he's really smart. As I said before, there's a detail in, in this where she has a brief moment with Rose Dark with Mary McDonnell um, where Beth Grant just could so easily be evil and shouty and she plays it with such pity and pathos and um, yeah, I, I, <laughs> wanky thing to say. Uh, she has clearly succumbed to the path of fear that she purports to be driving these kids away from. Mm-hmm. Wow. Did you write this on a typewriter? <laughs> yes, I did. I and then ta- subscribe. Uh, I do actually. I write it on my phone and then write it on my laptop. Um, I, I love the that interaction. I think you're right. I think that if any character symbolizes fear more than anyone, it's Beth Grant's character as Kid yeah. Farmer. Like she, yeah, is, absolutely. She is the number one most fearful of everything. Mary versus Beth. What a mm. fucking great. What mm. we. Two titans. Mary is also doing such a good job of being conflicted in the sense of like. Yeah, my son was a dick to this lady, but also I hate this lady. Yeah. And it's like when she's being questioned as a mother, it's the only time you see her kind of go like, oh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the dad just finding it all funny. He's again. so good. <laughs> he is he's really good. So good at that laugh at the end. So then, very importantly, Donnie goes to hot science teacher, uh, Dr. Monotov. <laughs> Dr. Monotov, uh, is Noah Weil. Uh, he's in A Few Good Men. He's in White Oleander. He's in that J-Lo movie, Enough. Uh, I think that's enough for a miniseries for me. Let's do Noah Weil. He talks to uh, Dr. Monotov about wormholes, uh, is given Roberta Sparrow's book, The Philosophy of Time Travel, um, the key that kind of unlocks the rest of this movie. Yes, James? My only note on this scene is, holy shit, this uh, classroom has three Teslas. 
Holy shit, four. There's <laughs> Wait, four, four Tesla coils in this oh. classroom. <laughs> I mean, they are loaded. Yeah, but is they have four different ones in different positions and sizes. Charlie, as a uh, longtime proponent proponent of hot teachers in <laughs> things, how, 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 how does Dr. Monotov go for you? Oh, he's not sleepy. <laughs> like, seriously, he's too alert. That guy's alert. Yeah, the thing is, Drew Barrymore is uh, serving a much sleepier yeah, vibe. Yeah, Drew's it's a sleepy true. teacher. Yeah. Hey, she's got this, not, the bedroom, not, those bedroom wrong. eyes. <laughs> she does have those bedroom <laughs> eyes. Um, so, Doctor Monitov, uh, <laughs> stop drinking that coffee in the morning. Anyway, given Roberto Spar- Donnie is given Roberto Sparrow's book, The Philosophy of Time Travel, um, and then we get a bunch of small scenes here. Uh, mm. There's another family dinner where Donnie, where Mary McDonald gets a little bit drunk and like, <laughs> and she just does a little like tipsy thing, which is really great. Um, um, we have another therapy session where Donnie admits that Roberta Sparrow said everybody dies alone in his ear. And then there's a great moment. And this is the, this is like the struggle of this movie where like Jake Gyllenhaal like is like an open wound and says, I don't want to be alone. Yeah. And it's like inc- an incredible performance. Yeah. That and is, like good writing. That entire monologue where she's like, do you think you're alone? He's like, you know, I want to believe that I'm not alone, but I just can't see any evidence of it. And I could keep debating it for the rest of my life. But, you know, I just really yeah. don't, I don't question it anymore. That was one of the scenes that just made my personality. <laughs> <laughs> I watched that and I was like, finally. I, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I get it, you, bro. Jake. There's no evidence that we're not alone. We're all going to die alone. Important stuff. <laughs> um, Donnie Darko uh, wakes up a little bit later watching the football with his dad, his dad and his mates. Um, Love that tableau. Of the, uh, the dad and his mates having cracking beers. And him being asleep and yeah. he's got a beer and he clearly doesn't give a shit about football but seems to like being around and his dad. I loved that opening shot. Mm. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and then he sees time start to stretch out from everyone's chest. Um, and then the one extends from his chest and turns into a little hand and beckons <laughs> towards him. That is one of the goofiest <laughs> animations I've ever seen in my life. It is so funny and so out of place. Well, um, I think the like the, the effect of the bubbles pe- coming out of right, the chest. It. It's looks very, awesome. It looks kind of, it's very clearly 2001 CGI, but it's so ethereal and weird and such an interesting visualization. The simple way to do this would be to have like the full body, like a little yeah, stretched yeah, you out. See like the, yeah. you, you see where he's going, moved in slight blur. You'll see it a lot in um, shows that show someone moving through time slowly. But having it as- like <laughs> Sorry, moving through time slowly. <laughs> They're going slower than everyone else. Yes, so it happens in sitcoms on and off. It happens in Buffy. I'm talking about Buffy. They okay. do that effect in Buffy. Great. Um, but yeah, the like uh, ballooning bubble is so pretty and ethereal and strange. And then for it just to turn full Looney Tunes for no yeah, reason- Yeah, it turns into a full like baffling. big hand. It's so good. And it's the first time oh. we see it. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's not like we've set up the rules. Let's play with it. It's like, no, 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 no. This is the rule. It's a little hand. <laughs> Ooh. So it's the same effect they use in the abyss. Yeah, it's the same. It's, it's literally the same. the same. Oh, it is. Yeah, except that that turns into someone's face and is much creepier. Yeah. And was a decade earlier. Yeah. So, mm. I mean, the, the thing of it, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, so it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's wonderful filmmaking. Um, the uh, That uh, uh, ethereal kind of hand, uh, wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff, leads him towards his parents' handgun, um, which he kind of picks up, and then we leave it until the end of the movie. Why does that gun look weird? Am I crazy? That gun looks fake as shit. So here's here's my thing. I think the thing about that gun is it looks too modern. Yeah. Is that for some reason you're like, that needs to be a... And I don't love to talk about 
guns that much, but it's like that needs to be like a Smith and Wesson, like a yeah, like an old like Western gun for yeah. some reason. <laughs> yeah. And the fact that it is just like a modern like deagle, it's like a Call of Duty gun. Yeah, is like really like for some reason doesn't fit in with the world of the movie, yeah, was, even though that would be the gun. gun. Wouldn't a rifle have worked better? Like something like a hunting gun. Yeah, but you it's hard. It's harder it. to like pull, pull that out of your <laughs> pants at the end of the movie. <laughs> Oh, doing a doing on, a very a visual second. joke on a podcast. <laughs> yeah. So next day, Donnie and Gretchen are on a date in a forest. They almost kiss, but there's a guy watching them in a red tracksuit. Um, he pops up later at the Halloween party. Uh, this is such the sort of thing that maybe there's an explanation for, but seems like it's just a dumb joke. And it's such a Richard Kelly sort of joke that doesn't make any sort of sense. Is it in the director's cut? Is that why you're looking at me like I, No, but he's been quoted saying that it's meant to be one of the agents looking over them the FAA the FAA he cuz you can in the final shot you can see that same actor standing with the other FAA agents yep. so he's a spy and they ended up just not why, clarifying okay it. if you're a spy why do you have a key light directed directly towards you so you are, you are the most obvious person that anyone's ever seen and you're wearing it's, a like, bright it's like red. all sh- it's like there in beautiful kind of dappled light and then it's shadows, 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 and then single piercing light, like a spotlight from, from the theater, I, like ugh. just like lighting him up. He's also wearing a bright red. Bright red tracksuit. I have an answer for this. It's because he's from the FAA. They're not spies. No, the, it's the federal air, because he specifically says it's not the FBI. It's the federal air, air, air association. Like so that. it's from, it's, it's basically for like a flight attendant, <laughs> a retired flight attendant watching out, trying to figure out where this guy stole a jet engine from. Right. Okay. Okay, well, the, this movie just keeps it keeps it's giving. The gift that keeps giving. Uh, I, I laughed out loud when I read that. I was like, what? <laughs> oh, my God. I went, cool. Yeah, absolutely. Very it's cool. It's the most Southland Tales thing. Yeah. Uh, the parents talk to the therapist because they're worried about Donnie. Meanwhile, he's in the bathroom stabbing the invisible wall between him and Frank. So maybe fair call. <laughs> um, Donnie's therapist tells the parents everything, which seems like a break of patient confidentiality. Does that not matter with the, when they're minor, minor, you can, you have no, 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 minor. That my reaction was, you haven't told them he has schizophrenia. Yeah, like, right. This is the first time. What Rose says is like, I thought, I think it was finally time that we come in and have a conversation with you. And I was like, this is the first. <laughs> your son has your son has schizophrenia and is on medication, and you haven't had a single conversation with his therapist. Also, he's on medication. No, he's not. He's on a placebo. <laughs> yeah. he's on pills made from water. <laughs> this therapist is as bad as teaching as fucking Drew. Barrymore. water. <laughs> yeah, this this therapist is as bad at therapy as Drew Barrymore is at teaching. Absolutely. Uh, cut two. Swayze is there to talk to the kids about love and fear. Uh, there are a couple of kids that ask questions. Then Donnie gets up and asks how much he's been getting paid to be there. And everyone's like, whoa! Everyone thinks that's the craziest question anyone could ever the ask. The only question that I'm kind of like, yeah, that's a that's a re- legitimate question. And then he goes on a real tirade. Yeah, he goes on a real tear. I can't quite remember, but it's like, he's like he ends up saying, calling him the Antichrist. The, that's like... He, that that end of it where he's just like, uh, and you're right, I am afraid. We're all fucking afraid, but uh, I think you're the fucking antichrist. If that was all he said, it would be fine. But then he goes, he 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 goes through the three people have been up. Um, and oh like, yes, yeah, yeah, He goes one to the first kid who's like, nobody knows what they fucking want to be uh, when they grow up. That's impossible. And I'm like, fine, fine, sure, that's something you'd say in high school. So far, good. And then to the next person who's <laughs> who's. The sister of someone, and she's worried that her sister is getting uh, fat. It is 
a baffling thing to come up with mm-hmm. and do. He then's like, he also then, she, sorry, she does get up and is like, I'm worried my sister is getting fat. And then uh, some, <laughs> someone in the audience is like, Hey! <laughs> no, no, it's his sister. And she goes, "Shut up, Bob!" I'm actually good. A good thing. Pretty good. Pretty good guess. Then Donnie Darko fully fat shames her sister and is like, "If yeah. your sister's worried about being fat, why doesn't she just uh, exercise?" It's it makes me hate Donnie in that scene. Yeah, bad. And then the third one, which is even weirder, because <laughs> the kid worse. has gone up and be like, how, "His question is," and he's the youngest. He's like, "How do I get good at fighting?" And then Johnny's like, Johnny's like edgy tirade was like, "I don't know. Lift some weights and do karate lessons." <laughs> Yeah. And then he's like, you're the Antichrist. And then he leaves and everyone's like, absolute rock concert. This is the greatest guy ever. Like, oh my God, can you believe how smart he is that he thought of doing a karate lesson? It's absolutely embarrassing. I think this movie's really good is the thing. My note note (laughs) after that was if Donnie was around today, he'd be old. He would be alt right, a hundred percent. He would be an incel yeah. sort of like, yeah, or a you know, vol cell potentially. Well, I think he would still be having sex with. His, I think he would still be okay. Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> with Gretchen. Well, I mean, like throughout this story, I don't think that would change. I just think sure. he would be okay. one of those. We- he would just be an alt right gross dude on Reddit who's like, uh, who, who complains about Captain Marvel. Sure. Like, he would be calling every movie woke. My hero. <laughs> <laughs> so Johnny has another combo. We haven't actually mentioned the character that has a crush on him, that young girl. Uh, Charita? Charita, yeah. Yeah. Because uh, that's important later. I've Yeah, I've got some s- s- stuff. But yeah, the, the, we see Charita Chen. Who has been horrendously bullied by Donnie Darko's two best friends. Both, yes. Both uh, fat shamed and had racist things shouted at them. Awful. Which makes me again go, Donnie sucks he's he, keeping the wrong company he's keeping the wrong company yeah. they don't even know about smurfette's origins they don't even know um, about smurfette's uh, that's what he took issue with not the other stuff. not not the <laughs> racist like, he's like i'm fine with a bit of racism yeah, a bit of racism but, but, yeah. but i draw the line <laughs> at not Smith. knowing that oh smurfs don't have genitals oh jesus christ but he does he sticks up for her a bit and that's like the thing but i mean does donnie have a harem in this fucking like is this this a harem everyone anime? is yeah. attracted to donnie darko which is the classic like self-insert self insert yeah. white dude screenwriter Absolutely. being like I am the hottest guy ever or like I'm, I'm not the hottest guy ever but my deep dark secrets and everything that's interesting about me will make every female in this movie attracted to my self insert character it sucks stinks it's <laughs> a stinky part of this movie yeah. then Donnie has another convo with a hot science teacher about time travel and God and then the science teacher has to stop the conversation they're having because he might lose his job this is positioned in the movie as if Donnie is getting so close to the truth like this is the parallax view or something. It is bizarre. The, the teacher's like, whoa, whoa, bro, we gotta stop. I, I could get fired for talking about time travel, dude. Like, it makes me- I want- thought it was like that, because I actually spoke to me and Joss would laugh about that. Cause I was like, hang on, is it that he just got like too close to the truth or like, or is it that it's just like getting far away from their religious school kind of stuff? Like if they're talking or, about God. Or is it getting too close to their religious school? Yeah, but, they're, but they're, what they're talking about is like determinism and God. Like that feels like you should be able to talk about it at that school. It's a bit like that. I mean, you know. the only thing that you could question a science teacher talking about uh, this with a student is this is not science. Yeah, yeah. You would say this is getting so far beyond the realms of science. This is just philosophy. Yeah, that we're I could lose about. my philosophy I, of time travel. I, I could, could lose, lose my, job, my for job. job. I could lose my job for how stupid this is. <laughs> Donnie, I, I could lose my. If if you say one more word, and you are the smartest guy. <laughs> you are the smartest guy that's 
ever lived. As we speak, I'm losing, I'm, I'm losing credentials. <laughs> <laughs> so then uh, Donnie's walking down a footpath, but is stopped by Frank, uh, Frank's voice. Um, and he looks and finds Jim Cunningham's wallet. And he's like, now you know where he lives. It's a weird sequence only because he's outside Jim Cunningham's home. No, he's not. Oh, he's not? No. It's but just that's the house street. that he goes into I don't think later so. when he goes through the cinema. Yeah, it is. It's the same is it? house. It is his house. Yes, yeah. Oh, I assumed it was only about the license. No, no, no. For some reason, because Donnie then turns towards that house in that scene. Right. It's a bizarre thing because like, why doesn't Frank go, stop, look to your left. That's Jim oh, Cunningham. He doesn't say, does he say stop first? In uh, The way I remember it is that he finds the wallet, picks it up, laughs at it because the whole fear and love thing is about finding a wallet on the street. Because there's the the fear and love test that Beth Grant put him. Uh, yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, cool. Beth Grant put him through. Good movie. And then he also <laughs> finds his address. But I think it's, it is outside his house. I didn't realize it's outside. I think it it's is. better. It, I see. I I guess I didn't do make that connection because it's better if it's not. It's, it's, better, it's his much house. better and if it's also, not. Also, fun fact that everyone loves to point out is that when him and Gretchen are walking and they're talking, about and he stubs how, his toe. He actually broke his toe. And in that he, <laughs> <laughs> it's when he talks. That oh sucks. God. I'm so sorry. That's um, and he talks ass. about how he got in trouble. He went to jail briefly or juvie for burning down a building. Yeah, that's He's right. walking past the house that he later burns down. Uh, Bit of an Easter egg that I'm sure everyone, everyone paused. I didn't know that. There you go. Did you know Vigo Monson really reflected <laughs> that dagger? <laughs> oh, my God. Now, next day or sometime later, Gretchen and Donnie. Are, I, the thing I will say, this, this movie is so full of incident rather than like like – I was just going through, like, as I was, like, riding through mm. this plot, like, compared to last week where speed is, like, all of this, like, if-then statements that just, like, all lead into each other. This is just, like, all incident. It's all vibes. It's all just things happening. And then Donnie does something. Anyway, Gretchen and Donnie are showing their science pitch experiment, which is an infant memory generator. Okay. I don't know about you guys. Never in high school was I asked to, like, pitch a science thing. <laughs> Was just like come up with an exp- like, come up with an invention. <laughs> like if that had been my science class, I'd be a scientist today. <laughs> You'd be like, that's what science is. Yeah, I just come up with it's the Elon Musk kind of uh, version of science. Is like I just come up with an idea. What like, if I'm, I'm just an idea? There was guy. no research around. They were just like, we hope that it would. Uh, like you didn't bring up any stats. Like you didn't like you know like, <laughs> yeah. about like no no no. Did a drawing. Yeah, yeah, like literally did a drawing. It was like sci-fi. Oh. It was like Although lessons. I do remember being he the guy. He could lose his job. Sorry. <laughs> They're getting too close to the truth with too the infant the memory truth. generator. <laughs> then he gets, she gets bullied. Yeah, Seth Rogen makes fun of Gretchen's dead dad, dead parents. Uh, uh, stabbed mom. They're both still alive. They're both alive. He's, sta- he's both? like, didn't your dad stab your mom? Yeah, right. And it's like, okay. um, Donnie runs after her. They kiss. This brings up a running theme of Gretchen getting turned on by her own horrific backstory being brought up. And I said, teen- seems like teenage boy fantasy shit to me. What if a lady was broken and I fixed her? But also I think that things like sex and impulses and things are treated in this movie in an interesting way as well. I'm like, is it pro this? Like, is it, pro, is this actually like an anti, like, t- I don't know. Cause I was like, it's, it's yeah, like, it's, like it's, and I think that's fine. It's like, it's like, it's just asking <laughs> questions, man. Like, I think it's like in that sort of zone. Cause I, it's like, yeah. I read that as, you know, she uses sex as a distraction. For me, it lives in that edgy teen thing of like go- looking to completely escape your own life into a too soon relationship. And I don't think it necessarily isn't the thing you're saying, which it also is, which is like, oh, what if an edgy girl was attracted to my edginess? But I think it also lives in that um, brain space of being a teenager, being like, my, the rest of my life is falling apart. I have to focus in on this one crush I have. Yeah, sure. Um, okay. So, uh, so You're saying masterpiece. 
Uh, <laughs> I'm just sad the guy insane. in the red ch- running suit was not there for this scene. I know he should have been They should have panned out. He should have been standing smoking that, across the street. Well, that's the thing that is missing a three beat, isn't it? Yeah. So, okay. This, uh, then they go and see Evil Dead. Gretchen is asleep on the second shot of Evil Dead. The car <laughs> is literally, literally driving into the shack. She's already asleep. Like... Also, it's clearly like a reparatory screening. So there's not going to be a lot of ads before that. Like it's going to be like, because the Evil Dead came out in 81 or 82. Also, the Evil Dead is 85 minutes long. I looked it up. (laughs) (laughs) He gets a lot done. He gets one. He gets a lot done in in 85 minutes. Two, he, she goes to the movie theater to sleep. Like we went to the movies with your partner recently. (laughs) (laughs) A group of friends. And uh, she fell asleep in the first 20 minutes yeah, of the movie. But and then prov- the first 20 minutes, I understand. If it was like Bruce Campbell getting hit on the head or something and that's when she fell asleep and now he's talking to Frank, I'd be like, that makes sense. Percentage-wise. It's literally, it's the, the um, <laughs> opening of the uh, uh, shack is like banging against the thing. It's like the famous kind uh-huh. of opening part of the fucking movie. Uh-huh. Um, you know, she's had a rough emotional it's not, day. It's not a sleepy movie, you know? <laughs> it whizzes by. <laughs> Gretchen... Wake up! You're just mad because you like movies. That's all this is. You're just you'd be like, up it, you'd be like, get up. You do it. Classic. You're the you're the like tapping her on the shoulder and pointing at the mo- at the thing, going like, did you know they just threw a camera at him? <laughs> did you know they attached a camera to a board and then just ran it through the house? Yeah, wake up! Wake up! <laughs> you know the guy that did the practical effects on this also did the practical effects on Star Wars. Um, they went to high school together. <laughs> okay, at this point, I'm asleep. <laughs> Done. Well, that's why you don't. That's why you don't open it. Yeah, that's fair. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, Frank, I, I wrote anyway in my notes because I knew I'd do that because <laughs> I knew that this would happen. <laughs> anyway, Frank's there. He says, "Why are you wearing that stupid man suit?" Takes his rabbit head off and reveals his fucked up eye and apologizes to Donnie for killing. Gretchen in the future, which is spoilers, but that is he apologizes what? for that. Does he say he just says I'm sorry? He just says I'm sorry. Okay, I thought, but that's what he's for a second. I thought for. I missed him saying I'm sorry, I'm sorry that I killed Gretchen, Gretchen, Gretchen in the future. And I was like, wow, they really. Man, if she woke up right now and watched this movie, she'd understand a lot more and maybe not get killed. So I'm go, sorry. I love it when he takes off his hat. It's his so hat. good. His hat. <laughs> Why are you wearing that stupid man hat? <laughs> Okay, we are losing it. Oh my god, my fedora was a rabbit fur fedora. (laughs) I also love it when he takes off his hat. It's a beautiful (laughs) reveal. It's a really good reveal. I think the makeup on his eye is really good. I think, and obviously the hat design is incredible. (laughs) And he walked into the set wearing that hat, and the whole room went cold. <laughs> I am so sorry. All right, do not apologize. Okay. All right. So Frank then reveals a time space portal in the movie screen. That is, uh, I mean, it, uh, an excellent effect. An excellent effect. It's also like the most up its own ass, like uh, movies are portals sort of thing. But you know, whatever. So Frank uh, 
uh, tells Donnie to go burn Jim Cunningham's house, so he does. Meanwhile, there's a talent show, Sparkle Motion, which is uh, a bunch of the younger girls, including uh, Samantha um, Darko. Darko herself. Uh, Elsa Darko, a Donnie Darko story herself. Um, Beth Grant tells the little girls that failure is not an option. Um, the music in this sequence is really good. Mm. Um, it's this kind of like weird as it's kind of rotating, and then it's the Notorious song, which I actually Gerard, don't know. Gerard. Uh, Gerard um, Durant, thank that you. was not meant to be that. He wanted to do, he choreographed in that whole routine to... Um, uh, fuck, what's it called? Oh, shit. Da, 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 da. Don't worry. It's no, no, no. It. Let's go. Um, no, why not? We're um, off the rails now. <laughs> East End Boys and West Town Girls. Never heard it. Sorry. Actually, that makes a lot of sense. Are you tearing I've, up singing I, about the song? No, I'm just hat still. <laughs> I have a hot take about this song. I'm probably going to edit it out because I'm going to sound like a callous person. Okay. Samantha. Mm-hmm. It should not be the lead dancer. Oh, <laughs> I get not her. Good. I had the same thought. The other dancers uh, you, are really you know, you know killing what? I'll, it. I'll tell you a spoiler. She should also not be the lead actor of a movie. <laughs> no offense to I, that lady. Uh, she's great I, in the ring. She's she is good in the ring. Great as the voice of, uh, of Lilo in Lilo and Stitch. Yeah. I think she's got. All right. <laughs> Don't I mean, I feel Sam. like S. Darko potentially. Wasn't Meryl Streep would have done a bad job in that, you know? Yeah, and, I don't um, think she's cast because she's a dancer. I think she's cast because she's actually a very good child actor. That was the other note I had on almost every scene she's in. I'm like, she's kind of doing good work. Oh, no, she's great as an yeah, actor. Yeah, I, I yeah. mean, more just like the, they're making a big deal about Samantha being the lead dancer. Yeah, I guess that good. has to happen for the line later to work. Yes. I, I also thought... So of, maybe it's... I'm just a cunt. But I watched it. I was like, why am I judging this, this, <laughs> this troop of 10-year-old dancers? I, I mean, know. we are missing out on this wonderful Beth Grant series on... My favourite Beth Grant movie, which is uh, Little Miss Sunshine. Weird sexualization of children in pageantry mm. is obviously a shared theme and it becomes very overt as this movie goes along. And it is the work that you get Beth to do. You get her to go in and be, unfortunately, part of uh, matriarchy that is negative towards uh, female liberation. Like that is a role that you chuck Beth into because she can play all sides of that thing. You can see that for her, this is how she feels powerful. Her expression of femininity in a traditional sense and sort of being the person that sits on the wall making sure that the rules that she grew up by are followed. She can play that, but then she also has that vulnerability and fear in every other sequence that makes moments like her telling the children that failure is not an option, not just funny, but also believable. From here, we get a, a lot of focus on Charita from this kind of moment. We've seen her before, but now the camera kind of stays with her a little bit in certain scenes. I think it's a really interesting kind of part of the movie that I'm not sure, like doesn't, I, I think doesn't have an answer. I went on to Reddit uh, <laughs> and there was an answer that um, in the theory about this movie that um, these are aliens um, that are interacting with the human race, Charita is supposed to be the ambassador or the the, the emissary. Uh, and that's why she has Donnie Darko written on her notes. I think that's stupid and doesn't make any sense. But uh, I think there is something about like, there is a pathos there for that character that is like, as the kind of audience surrogate or something like that, which mm. I think is interesting. Is there more of her in the director's cut? In I'm wondering, because in the version you watched, does this sequence start with her yes. dance? Yes. yes, it does. So that is in both versions. Yeah. Okay. No, I don't which think Which I think is, is really good. So then there's a bunch of small scenes again. Then firefighters find out that Jim Cunningham was a pedophile. Maggie Gyllenhaal is like, dad played golf with that guy. Drew Barrymore gets fired. Very fair. Um, and then she screams and then like looks around and Charita Chen's there. It's this sort of thing of like, she just kind of ends up like the second half of this movie, yeah. she ends up being everywhere. feels like you could be a, do a whole Rosencrantz and Gilda Stern, a dead movie about 
about her. Yes. Like, She's just trying to eat lunch, you know. And she yeah, just exactly. ends up in these insane moments. Honest to God, a better just sequel to Donnie Darko would be following her instead of uh, Sam. Well, she, you know, a classic, like, observer character, you know, yeah. who doesn't speak a lot, who kind of, like, sees the truth. So, uh, Sparkle Motion has been invited to perform on the Ed McMahon show, um, which leads to uh, the greatest scene in the movie, Beth Grant goes to Rose Darko and asks her to escort the Sparkle Motion kids to, I assume New York, but I don't know. Uh, LA. LA, right, to dance in the show. show. And she says, of all the mothers, I would never dream of asking you. Oh, it's so Such good. a good line. And then, uh, of course, the most famous line, sometimes I doubt your commitment to Sparkle Motion. Yeah. There is a crazy choice in this scene to, it's like so funny and actually like a funny scene. Mm. And underneath it is this like, ominous drone and it's this bizarre kind of like disjunct of tone which is like the whole movie is this disjunct of tone and this is kind of the like clearest kind of part of it is like you're doing a bit very clear bit where Beth Grant is being super funny and just while you're doing that it's this like Hans Zimmer drone underneath which is really spooky and then goes straight to a picture of Frank that Donnie's done. And it's because the underlying thing is uh, Rose is looking at her and going like, you actively put a pedophile in the vicinity of my children. Yeah. Like that is- And now you're taking time off to defend him. Yeah. yeah. Like and- the darkness that runs under that sequence is so uncomfortable. And yeah. also, I guess from a more like just a straight up and down Perspective of that, it's like it's it's you know they're going to end up on the plane because she's mm. agreed to go. She's been yeah. convinced. So yeah. kind of like foreshadowing of that as well. So Rose Darko then has the probably my favorite scene in the movie where she talks to Donnie about leaving for the Sparkle Motion performance. He says, "How does it feel to have a wacko for a son?" And she says, "It feels wonderful." I cried. Yeah, absolutely. Got a big old tear out of Mary me. McDonald is so good. She's Knocks good at everything. Um, she's actually good in everything. Uh, Can we talk then, about how a lot of people from Independence Day are in this film. Including her yeah. and Frank. Wait, the guy who that plays Frank is in Independence Day? Who's he in Independence Day? He plays the cool guy on the bike. <laughs> Wait, he plays Randy Quaid. Randy yeah. Quaid's kid in um, in Independence Day and plays a lot of cool cool kid characters in Gone in 60 Seconds, that kind of thing. It's oh, Frank. I did think when he took off his hat, that's a handsome man. <laughs> yeah, he's, Frank was... Yeah, even even good. with a busted up eye. He, he is... Yeah, for, uh, he's a real he's, hottie. He's a, he's a looker. Um... Then Donnie sends Roberta Sparrow a letter. I had completely forgot this, but the reason she's walking back and forth is because she can see through time like Donnie. Uh, she's like stuck in time. And so she knows that that letter is eventually going to be there. So all she does is walk back and forth and that, until she receives the letter from oh, Donnie. Donnie. Yep. Yeah. Interesting. She's, really she's good. in a time loop. That's yeah. good. That's good stuff. And that's why everyone's like, all she does is walk back and forth in that letterbox. And it's like, because she's stu- she's stuck like Wait, halfway between the tangent universe and the primary universe. Yeah. Now we're heading into the end of the movie. Uh, Maggie and Jakey plan a party. Then it immediately she happens. She got into Harvard. Uh, yes, Maggie Gyllenhaal got into Harvard. Congratulations. Gretchen rocks up to the party and is immediately like, "My mum's run off on on me. We don't know where she is. Um, uh, I just needed somewhere to stay that was safe." They immediately go upstairs. Gretchen says the the fucking worst line in the movie, which is, I guess some people are born with tragedy in their blood, which is a real S. Darko, a Dunny Darko story sort of line. I think it is. See, I I thought about that line as well. And I'm like, in the sense of this is what a shitty depressed teenager would say. It doesn't bother me. it, It actually doesn't bother me purely in that context of, these kids are with each other for a reason. And it's because they've written they that. <laughs> they wrote that line down earlier that day 
to say about themselves. Sure. And sure. are they wrong? I mean, she gets killed in a second. Then well, Donnie that's dies. true. She so is really, fated. She's got <laughs> Some people do have tragedy in their, in their blood. blood. She's um, the manipulated dead. And then, of course, they start to bone. Post-coitus, Donnie has timey-wimey extend out of his body. It leads him, Gretchen, and his two lucky mates onto bicycles to ride through the streets, E.T. ET style, and up to Grandma Dead's house. I just have an issue with his two friends that are like, Suddenly, his ride or die. In Absolutely, this final act. doesn't make like, any sense. It's like we shot BB guns together. <laughs> like, yeah, it's like they the were point racist. Of the character is that like, yeah. they hated on him, and like then we had this Goonies esque ride. Like, come on, my trusty lackeys, come with me. I was like, what? But like, he, you better full loner this whole film. That's and also, it's vibe. not like they are used at all in the end sequence. One of his friends does arrive with the iconic line. I stole four beers from my dad. <laughs> That's really good. And then, and then Donnie's like, we've got a keg. And he's like, mm, uh, keg, kegs are for cowards. Kegs are for cowards. <laughs> Maggie Gyllenhaal. So Donnie and um, Gretchen go upstairs hand in hand. And yeah. She's like, shot of her like looking up at it. And I'm like, is she giving like proud sister vibes? Like it's kind of a bit weird. You like, go there, go Donnie. There. I think her expression is, oh, good for him. Oh, they're, they're going up to my room. It's like, <laughs> I, I think, think she's playing I think like- they're in the parents' room, aren't they? Or are they or even weird. Why aren't they in his room? I don't know, but they're not in his room. Because he goes to the whole room. I think they're in the parents' room. Parents', parents room. Why? I, wild choice. I, you live there. I guess like, people are in <laughs> That's his where your room. parents bone. But they yeah, have a very yeah. healthy <laughs> they, sexual they relationship. Bone. They vote all the they time. They vote yeah. a lot. I don't know if they wash the sheets before they left. <laughs> I think Maggie's expression conveys all of that. Power of subtle acting. Why is he going to our parents' room? <laughs> <laughs> they go into Grandma Death's cellar. We, we've also missed the cellar door stuff from before. Drew Barrymore mentions that cellar door is the most uh, beautiful language, whatever. Yeah, in thing. It's also where Drew Barrymore clearly steals a flag from the classroom. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, why would that character do that? That, that character, it's the same Why with Donnie, Donnie Darko having yeah. an American, and it's the American dream leaving is probably what he's getting at. Uh, the freedom, so the they are down Freedom's in the here. cellar at Grandma Death's house. Um, they get attacked by Seth Rogen and Alex Greenwald, who were trying to rob Grandma Death's gem collection, which is mentioned <laughs> at the very beginning of the movie that she has a gem collection. They are taken outside at knife point. Seth Rogen sees a car driving towards them. Grandma Death is suddenly there. It almost hits her, but swerves and hits Gretchen instead. Frank was driving the car. So driven crazy with anger and maybe with a sense that this is what was predetermined, Donnie takes out his parents' gun, shoots Frank in the eye, creating the bullet wound we saw before. Frank dies, making him a manipulated dead in this tangent universe, allowing him to travel freely along this timeline and manipulate Donnie into making the decisions he made that leads him to this moment, which in turn teaches Donnie that he needs to sacrifice himself for the greater good of the primary timeline. That is the movie. That is the movie. Um, Also, this is the first time I realised Frank... Is Maggie oh. Gyllenhaal's un, uh, unnamed boyfriend? Yeah, and he writes on the fridge, "Frank gone to get beers. We'll be back." And then we see him with beers. Why did he stop over at Grandma's death house? No idea. So Donnie carries Gretchen back home, gets in his parents' car. Like he's a, that guy's a, a wonderful uh, designer. Like he made that whole suit. Yeah. You see him making that whole suit. Yeah, it was actually Richard E. Kelly's sketches. That was Richard Kelly's yeah. sketches, but but in in world. This fucking oh, yeah, teenager no, yeah, yeah. rules well, with, a, with a sewing machine. He's definitely like an art. Yeah, like he's an going art. Absolutely. Like, he's a hot yeah, he's art guy. Like 21, 22, a little bit older than Maggie. Like the whole world exi- The whole world of Frank mm, of, and of Maggie Frank exists. exists in my brain. Mm. Um, wrote fanfic for Frank <laughs> Donnie carries Gretchen back home, gets in his parents' car, sees that a hurricane is brewing, drives out to where we find him at the start of the movie. 
The plane that Donnie's mum and the Sparkle Motion kids are on starts to fall from the sky and one of the jet engines breaks off and falls through time back towards the start of the movie. It also seems implied that Donnie uses his dad's car as a DeLorean, because he mentions the DeLorean before, to drive basically into the hurricane backwards through time and through the portal. We travel back through the movie. Donnie is laughing as he stays in bed and the jet engine falls on him. Mm. We see images of the other characters in the movie continuing to live their lives. Drew gets with the hot science teacher. Jim Cunningham cries with guilt, I imagine. Beth Grant is in clutch- is in bed clutching her mattress for some reason. We don't Two. really get any kind of closure with Beth. <laughs> Two hours and four minutes, 23 seconds. Is the last time we see Beth? That is our Beth sit, giving us a wonderful 144 that- minutes of Beth in the extended cut. I was going to say, that's the extended cut. Oh, so we have even less time with her. We see Charita in that moment as well, which I yeah. think is really cool. I love that sequence. Yeah. I think that oh, is- Oh, with Mad World. Yeah, with Mad World. Jules, yeah. beautiful. Um, Sways Frank knocks it out of the park. Frank touches his eye. Yeah. yeah. And so-, so there's, this thing, there's this thing of like, you can kind of half remember, like as if the yeah. tangent universe has kind of imprinted on your memory. Yeah. yeah. So that's like why I guess- Beth is like, like is, shaken because yeah, she's dealing the with the fact that her mentor is maybe a pedophile. She yeah. just dreamt about it, maybe. The weird interstitial in the director's cut in here is titled Dreams. And it's like the manipulated living and the manipulated dead will not remember actions of the tangent universe, although they may have some dreams. And it's like there's hauntings, there's deja yeah. vu happening in it. Then we see Frank's drawings of his Halloween costume and we see Donnie is dead. I think... My favourite bit of acting in this whole movie is Donnie being dragged out. We see the dad crying, holding Samantha. And then we just pan across to Mary McDonald smoking a cigarette. And it is like devastating. I think the whole family is heartbreaking in that. I think the dad sobbing openly after being such a like, I'm going to repress everything kind of character is is really, really good. Maggie's expression as well. She's just looks like, she looks like a car has just hit her. Then Gretchen rides up. She doesn't remember Donnie, of course. She's asking like a local kid on his bike. Love this Um, kid. Gretchen and Rose Darko share a look. It's that that same thing of like this memory that they're holding. Um, Like, do they remember each other? Maybe in another life or another time universe uh, <laughs> the kid waving is funny though yeah and so, and so, so they good. wave at each other and then the kid also waves his hand and then cut the cut credits yeah, that's, that's really good I like that shot a lot that's Donnie Darko where do we land on it I I'm like still all over the place with this movie I still like there's moments that I think are like true like kind of this is so like true like kind of like high to cinema sort of things like I really think there are moments that are that and like these kind of and the way that the obviously the theatrical cut refuses to explain itself lives in this kind of surrealist state and then uh, as you do more research and as you watch it again and again you kind of uncover these things and I think that's a really beautiful kind of thing I don't think it like extends to the heights of your Mulholland drives or whatever but it's like it's in that zone the extended cut is objectively a worse cut of the movie. I think I said earlier, the um, ambiguity is one of the strongest features of the theatrical cut. Yeah. Because it allows people to project their own opinions, which I think is what happened. I, I talk about this movie being accidentally good sometimes. Yeah. It seems like his his creative decision to redo it was just add like law. He's kind of like, yeah. this is my time travel. Like yeah. kind of like he, he's like, it's, and he actually was quoted saying, I've got to make the sci-fi film that I set out to make. And I'm like, unfortunately, it's like the least interesting yeah, that, part <laughs> you have done of that. the whole of Johnny Darko. I also think the more that you learn about the law, the more absolutely no sense what the oh, it's complete makes no it's sense. It's complete wackadoo because not even just in like no sense of science, but the mo. If you apply his version of the law to the logic of the movie, I've mm-hmm. watched. 
I think five Donnie Darko explained videos in the last week, and everyone comes <laughs> up with a sick. different bullshit, and yeah, yeah, it's yeah. all and none of it lines up because part of it's like there were two, one of the theory is that there's two different jet engines, one from the uh, original universe and one from the tangent universe, and it doesn't make any sense. No, that, no, no. There's only there's only one jet engine. He is the thing. <laughs> doesn't make sense if there's only one. Doesn't make sense if there's two. There's Never makes what sense. What you're saying is there's three. There's I'm three saying, jet engines. There's a third secret jet engine. I'm saying fundamentally, if you break down logically, using Richard Kelly's rules of what happens, the movie falls apart in terms of like, it just doesn't work. If well, you don't know the rules, the ambiguity gives such a heavy play on like, you know, Donnie Darko literally at one point says, it's a deus ex machina, which is- Boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you let that ambiguity play with like, there is some sort of extended fate, closed loop time travel by trying to escape your fate through time travel, you'll always end up being crushed by the jet engine. That almost works. I think the very basic thing of Donnie Darko leaving from his bed to be landed on by the jet engine so he's not killed creates a tangent mm. universe. Mm-hmm. Or alternatively, the jet engine falling through time from the tangent universe back to the real universe is what creates the tangent universe. Mm-hmm. And then this whole thing about this kind of fairly ten- clean 28 days, six hours thing is a closed loop to teach Donnie, a le- like from a story perspective rather than thematic perspective rather than from an actual time travel, is like the perfect loop to teach Donnie about the power of sacrifice and how his death is actually going to uh, extend the primary timeline. I think that's. I think that works. And I, I, I think if you don't look at it any closer than that, I think the movie's good. That's what I mean, is yeah. that I, as soon as you try to take it as a hard sci-fi, which is somehow what Richard E. Kelly wrote it as, right. as soon as you t- read I all- don't think you can have like metal and water are the most important things and call yourself hard sci-fi. I think sure, hard a sci-fi, sci-fi that like- has hard rules or yeah. theoretical rules and it has an entire book full of rules. So that's what he's going for. Mm. It falls apart because the fundamental moment-to-moment logic of it is nothing. It's bonkers. It's bananas. As a sort of parable, like, um, yeah. it makes a lot more sense. I think it's, I think it's actually, yeah, fairly powerful as a, a, as a parable. To me, it reads fairly straightforward. All the answers to these questions are answered in S. Darko, a Donnie Darko oh, yeah, story. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, we can have all the questions that we want in the world, but canonically, this is what happens. There are aliens that are creating tesseracts that are falling to Earth. That is actually the ending of that movie. The word tesseract is used, and they are these little cubes that fly in from space, and there's a guy that's being possessed by a- the alien life force. I watched 47 minutes of this. I went to, I fell asleep, and I was like, I will. I've I never fall asleep during movies, to be fair. Unless it's the Evil Dead. (laughs) That'll that'll put you right to sleep. It was a real Gretchen move on my part. The director talked about it. Greg Fisher, I think his name was, who I don't don't want to rag on anyone. He's like done a bunch of TV and like, it seems like a very competent, good director. It's not his fault that Donnie Darko exists, but he took Donnie, uh, took S Darko and he was like, my pitch for S Darko is the aliens shit. Like that was his idea. (laughs) And it's like, have you seen the movie? <laughs> like, also, Richard E. Kelly had nothing to do with it, did Yeah, no, had nothing. There was, and there was, was nothing. And, uh, and, like, it got announced and he released a public statement being like, hey, I have nothing to do with this. This is the studio who, because they own the movie, I would never do this if it wasn't. So Richard E. Kelly has only directed three films. That's right. He's a trilogy. Director. The trilogy. The trilogy. We've seen Donnie Darko. Uh-huh. I've seen a bit of Southland Tales. You guys are big Southland Tales fans. It is... 
And are the we third fans one is the box. Yeah, which, which I have is not seen. I saw years ago. Yeah. I don't know about Richard E. Kelly as like a I I'm not sure I'm a fan of his direction in general, but I do think that Donnie Darko is a good film. And I that's huge for me to say. If my year nine self could look at me right now, she'd be, she'd be shook furious. At, she'd be like, You she, sold out, man. Yeah. And she is furious right yeah. now. My year nine self could see me right now. He'd be like, Where's your hat? <laughs> <laughs> why are you? Why are you not wearing that stupid man hat? Do we think this movie is better than Holes? Do we think? Right, this sorry, is than Holes? <laughs> I, that's yeah. I, we we tangented I, off that an hour and a half ago. The whole the whole movie, and now we're coming back to it. Do we think this movie is better than Holes? <laughs> that this entire podcast made me to figure this out. Like yeah. now, I've thought about director's it. director's cut. No, I think this movie is better than Holes. Infinitesimally a little bit better than Holes. I think it's heights. I think they're similar in terms of high highs and low lows. Mm. I think it's heights are slightly higher than Holes' heights and its lows are slightly lower than Holes' lows. Mm. I absolutely agree with you on that take. I think it's a better movie though. Who do we think was the best supporting cast of this movie if we couldn't pick? Other than Beth Grant. Holmes Osborne. I think Holmes is incredible in this. Mary McDonald. Mary McDonald. I have to go with her. You can't really look past it. I'm going to go the two editors that are listed here. Uh, Sam Bauer and Eric Strand made this movie, I think. (laughs) Really formed it into what it is today. Taking nothing away from Richard Kelly, who I think is at least an incredibly competent and interesting director. But I think they constructed this movie in such a way that it makes it an ethereal kind of wondrous kind of easy. What were you we saying earlier? It's like incredibly watchable. Can I pick just the soundtrack actually? That's yes, what absolutely. I well, that's yeah. the, the, the composer um, who I had. Um, I mean more go? the song choices. Oh, the song choices is, is Which is, very, I think, Richard Kelly, obviously. Yeah. So there you go, Richard. Um, one point from me, one Richard. One point for Richie. I mean, there's a million people that we should. The Frank yeah. costume designer, that Frank Cat. Just does that really Frank Hat really does it. That Frank Hat is <laughs> just uh, one of the top 10 hats in cinema. Do you think this is Beth Grant's best performance? I think it is her most Beth Grant. Yeah, I think it's the height of Beth Grant performances. I think this is, yeah. if I think of one, I go, yeah, this is it. But it's, I think it's stronger than Speed. Only because she gets more to do. She yeah. certainly gets more to do in this movie. And I also think that the character is just more interesting. And she, she kind of takes the ball and runs with it more in this than she does in Speed. And she's not really given the chance to in Speed. Although... We will find out if we think it's truly her best performance next week. Next week, we will, of course, be covering Beth Grant in No Country for Old Men. And I, I'm I, so excited to I revisit it. I might have been wearing a bowler hat when I watched No Country <laughs> for Old Men. So we'll see. We'll see if we can bring that one up. New game. What outfit were you wearing? What I like, what were you, you wearing when you first watched this? What awful outfit were you wearing? So what funny. nerdy dipshit outfit were you in? I watched this in <laughs> lockdown, so I was almost certainly shirtless. Mm-hmm. And um, well, We can get into save it next it. week. Save it. Save it. I'll save that joke. Don't get the people what they want. Sorry, sorry, yeah. sorry, sorry. i got to hold it back. Hold back my shame. <laughs> well, that's been Donnie Darko. I hope that we really made this film very clear. There's not at all any further questions on the plot of Donnie Darko. No further questions. No and further I'm sorry questions. that we don't believe the alien theory of Donnie Darko. Well, or do we? No. no. No, what the fuck? This has been Supporting Cast. Thank you so much for tuning in. And next week we'll be back with No Country for Old Men in our final, final part of the Beth Grant miniseries.